Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the July 13th uh, Board of Trustees meeting. Um, let's open up with a, a, a roll call, please, Madam Clerk. Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Blue is excused. Trustee Chapman is will be late, but she'll be here. Uh, Trustee Esteen. Here. Trustee Fox. Here. Trustee Friedman. Here. Trustee Jensen. Here. And Trustee Splendoria. Here. We have a quorum, thank you. Thank you, and, and uh, just as part of process, I know we had a little bit of discussion on this. We now go into public comment. As a reminder to everybody, this board of trustees welcomes public comment. All feedback and commentary should be considered a gift. There is a process to do this, but I don't think there is actually any public comment. Is that correct, Madam Clerk? That is correct. Wow, wow. we're being very efficient tonight. All right, well, this will go into item A, which, are, which is the executive officer's report. Uh, uh, I think it's always important to reframe. The executive officer's report, we, we do it, sometimes we use it for a little bit of business, but it's often a framing or a learning relevant to our job here. Um, so I recently reached out to uh, a couple of our trustees and I invite all our trustees to always contribute, be it an article. We've been using an article as a primary format, but we don't have to do it just like that. Um, Trustee Banerjee, always being forward thinking and thoughtful about this, uh, thought this would be a great opportunity to discuss a mission moment. I'm going to give the podium to her in just a second. And then, and then um, Trustee Jensen actually was the contributor to our two main articles. So I'm going to give it to these two to lead us through this. We, we've earmarked about 20 minutes of time here. And again, the purpose here is to frame the work we do vis-a-vis uh, -vis our mission and our fiduciary responsibility. So with that, this is item A, uh, uh, Trustee Banerjee, good evening. Thank you, Chair. And as, um, as Trustee Bukit said, in this part of the agenda, we usually pre-read article and then the board discusses and appoints on it. And I, we wanted to mix it up a little bit and hear a story from our staff to ground us in our purpose. Um, I am uh, fortunate to be the board representative on the Health Equity, Diversity and Inclusion Committee and have been on it since 2018 when HEDI restarted after a hiatus for a few years. And the mission of HEDI uh, is to help AHS bring its vision and mission to fruition. Um, in its charter, it says Alameda Health System will be a world-class patient and family-centered system of care, a, di a di diverse, multicultural, anti-racist organization that advances health equity, justice, well-being, and belonging in the community. And when we speak about community, we mean both our own AHS family internally, every member of our team, as well as our broader, our patient, our partners, and every resident of the committee. Briefly, uh, the goals of HEDI are to embed equity throughout AHS's culture, systems, policies, and practices. That means we put these accountabilities in our HR, our workforce, our contracts, our budget, finance, communications, our advocacy efforts, and our services. Cultivate a workforce culture that embraces and advances inclusiveness and belonging. Embed equity into the design of clinical services, research, assessment of quality outcomes, and strengthen cross-sector collaboration. So sometimes when we think about our strategic framework and we say, 
DEI surrounds everything, but where there's the sustainability piece and there's a workforce piece and there's a quality piece. As you can see from the goals of HERI, it, is, it encompasses each of them, are, uh, whether it's the workforce, whether it's the quality, whether it's uh, sustainability, um, or whether it's community connections. And so this task force is an important um, organizational task force, which has all of the members of the ELT uh, and physician and operational leaders, because this is where we want to see um, it being actualized both inside and outside. So um, as you all know that uh, when we approved, when the board approved the, uh, our strategic plan, there was a call, a very explicit call from the board that the goals that we were seeing really reflect what the, uh, what the graphic said, patient-centeredness in the middle, accountability, trust, and equity. And we've seen now with the Joint Commission, <clears throat> They wanted to know when we had our survey, they wanted to know where is your, how are you doing with equity? CMS has just released their health equity framework. So they will be mandating uh, us to show how we are doing equity. The American Hospital Association sent a survey to its member organizations saying, how are you doing equity? Show us how that is being embedded in every part of it. So we know that this is something that is a core competency that we have to build up. So I'm so thrilled today to introduce uh, Arlene Gomez, who is who co-chairs the HEDI committee with um, Dr. Minnie Swift. Arlene joined AHS in 2018 and currently holds the role of Director of Organizational Learning and Effectiveness. She comes to us from Kaiser Permanente where she spent 18 years directing healthcare operations and leadership development. And Arlene is an executive leadership and career coach and serves on a number of leadership council. And right now is on the, currently is on the Cal State East Bay Leadership in Disruptive Times Advisory Council. And I'm especially glad that I uh, will, uh, am partnering with Arlene on our organizational learning and capacity building journey. Um, uh, oh, on the heavy team. So welcome, Arlene, and I'll turn it over to you. Thank you so much, Trustee Banerjee. Good evening, everyone. And I wanted to add that um, we weren't sure if Dr. Minnie Swift was going to be able to join us, but she is on the line. So she will be uh, she will be um, collaborating with me and um, speaking to our heady uh, activity. Thank you so much for this invitation. It is a great opportunity to speak to what we are doing, and I appreciate Trustee Banerjee's framing of our work by reviewing the vision, mission, and goals of our HEDI committee. In addition to the regulatory um, and required uh, elements that we've talked about, I wanted to just mention also that there uh, is a California Senate bill, 464, Dignity and Pregnancy and Childbirth Act, that we are um, very compliant with and actually um, are doing very, very well. We've been asked by the Department of Justice twice to report on our compliance. And last time had the opportunity to um, 
to provide information beyond the, the requirements that are stipulated in the legislation. And we were able to, um, to really give a lot of information about that. One bright spot to highlight, I think, is what is going on in the obstetrics area, um, primarily led by Dr. Kevin Smith and others. Um, in addition to all the requirements that are stipulated in the legislation, specifically around uh, implicit bias training for perinatal providers and staff, um, there is a myriad of information that, um, that we were able to provide to the Department of Justice around other learning forums, grand rounds, et cetera. And so that was, um, it was very much um, a delight to be able to compile all of that information. And it also gave us an opportunity to review all that we have done in that particular area. I'd like to think that it's not in response or reaction to the legislation, that it's something that we are compelled to do as part of our mission and vision with HETI as well as Alameda Health System. And so on that point, we want to see um, the same type of engagement and opportunity occur in other areas and other divisions and other disciplines. And so when Dr. Swift and I meet with James every month to talk about the HETI steering committee meeting, we talk about how we can operationalize things at our HETI committee meeting. So that's something to highlight. Um, and then con uh, concurrent to what's occurring in health equity, in terms of our workforce culture, there's a lot of training underway for um, implicit bias, but also asking and, and um, engaging our management team, our leaders, to foster a culture of inclusion and belonging. And that comes from um, just interactions every day, but also through our hiring process that there's diversity and inclusion in that process as well. So let me just stop and see if um, Dr. Swift wants to add anything at this point. I'm not even, I'm not sure if she can. Hi. Hi everyone. Um... Just wanted to say we are so thrilled um, to have been, I know everybody in the HETI committee was so thrilled to have the opportunity to participate in the strategic planning process and to really give thoughtful and deep uh, feedback. We are so appreciative of the forward thinking, you know, nature of our board and our executive team. And we really look forward to being a resource um, as we begin to implement that um, that strategic plan. Um, I've just returned from PTO camping for the first time in my life. Um, so just coming off of that, um, one thing I've been wondering and asking folks around me is like, this is really extraordinary. You know, our board has mandated that everything in the strategic plan and basically in the organization is to be enveloped by equity. And I've been asking myself and asking others like, how ready do we feel that we know how to do that? Um, and so just wanted to share that we are thinking about that. We're thinking about trainings. We're thinking about so many aspects and we're just so grateful for, um, for this commitment. Um, as we talk to other organizations, sometimes it's a struggle to persuade their leadership and we feel really grateful that that is not the case here at AHS. Thank you. 
Thanks, Dr. Swift. A couple more comments. I wanted to highlight also um, our, the affinity groups that we've begun. There are three that have, that have been started for our employees. And uh, it sounds as though a fourth one is forthcoming. Um, the engagement is a little quiet at this point. So we're strategizing around how to increase that engagement, um, hopefully through a grassroots effort, but certainly uh, by championing and, and um, marketing with our PACE partners, et cetera. Um, the other thing that I wanted to highlight is that um, in terms of operationalizing and strategizing, another kind of um, mantra that Dr. Swift and I have talked about is the idea of providing to patients access to what they need by meeting them where they are. So it's an interesting notion. It's, it's a little abstract and, con and um, conceptual, and yet I think it is occurring in some areas. So I would like to thank, the, um, thank everyone, and especially again, Dr. Banerjee for this opportunity. We would look forward to returning and sharing our updates and information moving forward. And um, thank you very much. Arlene, did you want to mention what the affinity groups are? So we sure. Certainly. So the, the three affinity groups that have launched are BEAN, which is an acronym for Black Employees and Ally Network. Um, there's the Latinx affinity group and the LBGQTI affinity group. The one that we're here, that we believe is forthcoming is the Asian Pacific Island um, affinity group. So we also have talked about um, in fact, it was a meeting that we had with James recently. He had two of our student interns, Health Path students, um, rounding with him, and they took the opportunity to share with us what affinity groups were like at their respective universities. And one of the takeaways was that they very much included and invited allies of the affinity groups to join. It wasn't, it wasn't solely participation based on identity. It was including allies. So we've, we've talked about that as well. Well, thank you very much um, to Ms. Gomez, Dr. Swift, and of course, uh, Trustee Banerjee for introducing this topic. Um, trustees, any commentary, questions, dialogue, discussion on this first segment of the Executive Officer's Report? Thank you, uh, Ms. Gomez. Uh, sorry. I saw someone. I would love to say, yeah, thank you for giving oh, trustee me trustee Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry. In my, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing the heady information with us. I think uh, equity, I appreciate what Dr. Swift said, um, emphasizing that equity is at the center of the strategic plan and asking the question, are we even ready for this? It always takes a an initial assessment to figure out if we're on the right track and how to make a plan. So I just wanted to say, I appreciate that so much. And thank you so much, uh, Arlene, for your explanation of everything. We do look forward to having you come back for sure. Thank, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Trustee Esteem. Yeah, thank you, Arlene. And uh, like I said, Equity is a framework that is whether you're doing finance or you're doing workforce, it's, it's like a model clinical guideline or practice, model practice that you use that frame and everything um, that we do. So we look forward to hearing um, regular updates from our operational folks who are actually going to be putting this in practice. 
very, very much. Again, Trustee Banerjee, thank you for that. Uh, Trustee Esteen, you made me, uh, I, I, I geeked out a little bit when you said uh, equity is at the center of everything we do. And uh, I'm gonna make a, 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 a humble argument. It's sort of, I'm a Star Wars geek. It's kind of like the force. The force surrounds us and binds us. <laughs> That's what this. is. So, so uh, maybe equity is like the force that surrounds us and binds us for what, what we do here. And that's, that'll be my geek moment for here. Uh, actually, I'm, I mean, every moment for me is a geek moment. So with that, I'm going to give it to uh, Trustee Jensen, who introduced two articles which are relevant to the discussion we've had. Trustee Jensen, can you talk to us about the selection of these articles and uh, kind of what inspired you here? And then we'll kick off any dialogue. Um, actually, uh, thank you, Dr. Chair, and thank you to the presentation regarding the HETI committee. I, this is actually very much related. Um, the national, it currently July is, um, every year is National Minority Mental Health Equity Month and, um, mental, excuse me, Mental Health Awareness Month. And um, it's unfortunate that there is a, a, a direct and um, a, a highlighted month for minority mental health awareness. But as we know, um, equity and inclusion in and all healthcare services is a challenge, and especially in mental health. Um, the, the unique struggles that racial and ethnic minorities in America face regarding mental health is, is continues, especially with COVID-19 pandemic, which is affecting many communities, ethnic communities um, more severely in terms of um, provide access to mental health and um, mental health challenges and, and behavioral health challenges. So why I chose these articles, um, well, first of all, I'm kind of a fan of Susan Rice and she, many of you know that she was the ambassador to the UN um, under President Obama. And now she is the, um, the, the, um, the White House um, health, I should get this right, but she's in the White House and serving as a healthcare um, liaison and ambassador. So. She's, um, I chose that article because I, I have found that she's often very profound in her um, explanation and thoughts about things that are uh, relevant to me and relevant to um, the work that we do here at Alameda Health System. She, um, her, her brief discussion and article was for the, on the National Mental Health Strategy, which is outlining what the White House is doing, but I, I found it interesting and useful because um, of the information that she provides about, about um, the, the ways that the mental health challenges are found, where they're found and, and why they're found, um, perhaps unusually more often in certain communities. And so uh, I, um, and I like the way that she, she looked and, and evaluated how mental health and behavioral health challenges are manifested in, in our school systems. And, and so I thought that was, that was useful. The other article that I chose was quite a bit longer um, and more in, in depth. And, and, and unfortunately, or, um, you know, uh, what I found unfortunate and kind of sad is that this article was written in 2018. And um, it begins the first, the first sentence of the article is spikes in violence and an uptick in school and mass shootings continue to propel discussion of the Emmett demands of the American mental health system. So this was four years ago, and unfortunately, those things haven't changed. So 
uh, this is a little bit of a different perspective on mental health pre-pandemic and post-pandemic regarding how um, how feelings of not being safe, about how um, feelings of, of uh, aloneness or feelings of um, isolation can contribute to these things and how these, how the, um, in diverse communities, diverse communities are not able to often access the care and it's more challenging to, um, to find it and access it due to a number of different um, issues, barriers. So that's my introduction. And if any of my colleagues on the board have anything to share or add or anyone in that on the exec team, that would be great, thanks. Trustees, Trustee Fox. Uh, one thing that I was surprised that the article didn't mention was a shortage that I think exists in uh, mental health providers who are, men who are members of minority groups, because I would think that that would be a significant deterrent to some people in the minority community who are looking for uh, mental health providers. And um, as an African-American therapist uh, in my family, uh, one of our relatives uh, was a, had a very thriving uh, therapy practice. This was in the South Bay, both with um, Caucasian and minority patients and, said, and often said that, you know, she could probably fill up another practice if she had to. Thank you, Trustee Fox. Trustee Friedman, good evening, sir. Good evening. Yeah, I thought it was, uh, uh, enlightening and sad article um and your comments about it was from 2018 or uh i didn't actually realize that when i was reading it because it seems so contemporary um i did see several references to the lack of uh, uh providers of color and the cultural competency or lack thereof and need for translation etc in the article but i think you can't emphasize that enough. So I agree with Trustee Fox that could have been highlighted a little better than it was. But, uh, you know, the PTSD that they talk about is something that, you know, we've been learning about from the, um, you know, ACEs, the uh, trauma, uh, adverse childhood experiences that create mental health problems that last all throughout a child and then adult's life. And we can't begin working with children early enough uh, and get them comprehensive services. And it's, as the article points out, the social determinants of health are so important. So we can't just say we're gonna provide a culturally competent therapist for every young child we need to make sure that family stressors are reduced from worrying about housing and food and access to quality health care. All the societal stressors are working against whatever we do, uh, trying to triage these problems with better treatment. So it's gotta be a comprehensive approach. Thank you, Trustee Friedman. I, I absolutely agree. And um, I would direct the attention. Um, there are actually in the long article, uh, 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 Ambassador Rice suggests things that the White House is doing and the, the, um, the SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Office of HHS. But um, there is one thing that I kind of took away from the article from 2018. And 
And that is that what we what what we can do, what can be done is to think about and look at ways to integrate behavioral health with primary care, especially in minority communities where specialists are not plentiful and where the primary care doctor is often seen as the, the definitely seen as the first line um, of access and, and program access. Integrating mental health care with primary care could reduce disparities and, and, and definitely increase access. And so we, ha we have some opportunities there, I think, maybe. Thank you, Trustee Jensen. Trustee Banerjee. Yeah, um, everything that uh, Trustee Fox and Friedman and Jensen said, uh, truly, um, A, that the science of uh, uh, mental health often is a, a little Eurocentric and the practitioners are also that. So sometimes some of the more culturally affirming ways of which like, you know, wisdom of like uh, collectivity and social supports and family supports and things that are uh, that belong in certain cultures have not always translated into practice. And so not just being linguistically, but also in the frameworks that we use. Um, I also work uh, with youth uh, mental health. So just even though the, the data, uh, Tracy, in this article were alarming, just to think that in this four months, four years since this was published, with COVID and the epidemic of mental health, the physical social isolation that folks have felt and that it is so much more. And, and so, and often with young people, they don't always look at um, medical professionals for their well-being. Sometimes it's the coach, sometimes it's a peer. And so that uh, focus on wellness and prevention is so much. So it's the social determinants of health. It's all of the aspects of, you know, mental health, mental, emotional, social health promotion, which is as important. And I'm glad I would, you know, would love to have our mental health folks come back at some point in time and see like, how are we through HICSA and AHS doing that continuum of care from like, not just from a treatment point of view, but as we think about community connections, how are we working um, with other partners to also be, uh, to promote? Thank you. Trustee. Oh, absolutely. That's a great comment. And I would, um, if there's other comments, that would be great, but I was gonna close and point out that um, these aren't the most um, optimistic articles, and there is unfortunately another um, piece of, of information that was released this week, which is about our specific mental health capacity and, and programming here in Alameda County, and that was the grand jury report. So to your point, um, Trustee Banerjee, perhaps we could have a um, more of a, a agenda item on the, the overall uh, Alameda health system and Alameda County mental health programs and access and um, including the grand jury report, which was not um, not not um, applaudatory, put it that way, regarding the, the degree to which um, most people in need of mental health services and behavioral health services in Alameda County are able to access them. Thank you for that, Trustee. I did not know there was an one one last point is with the gun care, the gun reform bill that has been passed by our president. I don't know how much budget will be allocated for that, but there are dollars when there is for mental health services, and I hope that trickles down to every single local level. Thank you, Trustee Banerjee. Trustee Jensen, I thank you for uh, 
inspiring this dialogue on something important for us. Madam Clerk, as part of our tracking items, can you put an update on, uh, I'll just call it the State of Behavioral Health in Alameda County. That's a big one. We've tried to do that one before on prior iterations of the board. I think it's important to put on our tracking item as a go forward. Two other comments. One, um, approximately 24 months ago, this organization was contemplating shuttering the intensive outpatient program. And look at us today, uh, where, where, where uh, there's investment in it, and it's actually uh, both clinically and financially a performing unit. Is it enough? Absolutely not. But it, I think the organization's commitment to it is, 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 is obvious in there. And then the second, I'll just close with uh, some of Ambassador Rice's words as we end this. Mental health is health. So uh, this has to go part and parcel with everything we do here. With that, uh, I really appreciate Trustee Banerjee and Trustee Esteen for bringing this dialogue for this item. Uh, hopefully it was a thoughtful dialogue. Well, that will close out item A and we'll go to item B, the CEO report. Good evening, Mr. Jackson, sir. Evening, Dr. Chair Bouquet. Thank you for the opportunity, trustees, to share some information. I um, unfortunately must start with, on a on a somber note. Um, Dr. Chaplin Liu, who is a community-based nephrologist who has served both Alameda and San Leandro hospitals um, most um, efficiently and um, very importantly since they became a part of the Alameda Health System, I, was, I learned today that he passed unexpectedly this past Monday. So um, I don't have details. I can tell you that Dr. Liu, um, he, was, he was working apparently and he was found at Eden Hospital um, unresponsive. He's a father of two. His daughter is a medical student and uh, I believe she's at Howard Med School um, and his son is a, a, a graphic engineer and um, he just was committed to his work as a nephrologist and as a, a physician and a, a person of good character. And so I will ask that we have just a moment of silence, if you will, in honor and respect for Dr. Chappie Lou. Thank you very much. With that, uh, trustees and guests, I will turn to my report. Um, if I may share my screen, um, I will move through the report. Are you, um, Chair Bouquet, if you, yes, thank you very much. Um, I will go to. Sir, it's not in presentation mode, but good enough. There we go. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Okay, um, diving in, I'm using our pillars from our new um, strategic plan for the basis of my report. And I'll start with our community connection. This is, um, um, I wanna acknowledge our, our Health Path program, which is capably led by Jessica Pitt. Um, there are a number of um, students participating in the Health Path program over the summer. I have the great pleasure to have two of them rotating with me, uh, Ting Hong and Giselle Dior Borelli, um, who are um, interested in healthcare administration. Ting is a rising sophomore 
at the USC, University of Southern California. Giselle is a rising senior at Johns Hopkins, and they have been rotating with me, as noted here, for an eight-week um, immersion, and they are spending time with all of the executives. They had the pleasure of spending time today with Mark Fratsky, um, with Tangerine Brigham, and uh, with Ro Lofton as well. And so moving them through the executive team, they're shadowing me in many of my meetings. A number of you have uh, had them in meetings that you've attended with me. And so very excited to um, honor our mission of caring, healing, and teaching all, and allowing these young people the opportunity to see what a career in healthcare administration is like. Um, here are Ting and Giselle. They accompanied me to a meeting this week, uh, actually last week, with the mayor of Oakland, Libby Schaff, and they are um, showing off the Warriors championship rings that uh, the mayor has um, acquired over the years, and she's got one more coming, um, and so hopefully we'll get a chance to go back and allow them to wear the fourth ring. So, um, you know, it was a good meeting with the mayor. Um, you can see here the group that went with, and uh, you've got um, Giselle next to me, um, Gary Blake, who is our practice manager at the Eastmont Wellness Center, um, obviously the mayor, uh, the Honorable Libby Schaff. Um, you've got Alice uh, Kenner, who is our PACE director, and Elizabeth um, Lamb, who is our legislative affairs leader, and Ting um, Hung on the far right. So it was a great visit, had the opportunity to talk to the mayor about a number of different topics, including um, the work that we're doing around making sure that reproductive health and specifically abortion care remains viable and available to those that we serve and the mayor's um, steps to make Oakland a sanctuary city for abortion care services. So it was a, a fruitful meeting. I believe that Giselle and Ting are having a, a good rotation and I'm very um, grateful to Jessica for her work um, regarding health path. This is um, a slide that really uh, captures some of the work that we're doing around the rape prevention work in our emergency room. We have the Sexual Assault and Response Team, which is a 24-7 program. We recently had our grant to sustain that SART uh, team uh, renewed for, from October of this year through the end of September of next year. And so we're, we're just pleased and proud. This is important work. Um, I wish it were not needed work, but it is very much needed. And so um, I'm honored that AHS has once again received this grant to allow us to continue this important work in our community. Moving to the culture of safety survey, um, just a few updates to provide regarding where, where we are in this work. There are five steps which are um, outlined for you here. We are right now at step four um, um, with the department leader collaborating and creating an action plan with the staff and providers to address the issues and concerns that were brought forward by virtue of the culture of safety survey. And so um, the debriefings are happening right now, which is step three. Um, we made a commitment to how all the debriefings done by the end of July, and we are on track to meet that target. And then we will uh, um, move uh, into the action planning. This is where we are. And I share this, and it's, it's not great looking when you look at how many of the debriefings are now done but um, I met with the executive leadership team and we are talking to each of the leaders responsible and I have a uh, high assurance that we will in fact ha have all of the debriefings done by the end of this month and I will continue to provide updates to this board as this process moves forward. 
um, noting just where the areas of concern are, and that's John George and Sammy Andrew, and I received emails today um, regarding both of these facilities and the work that's being done to make sure that the debriefings are being scheduled. And then our underlying message, obviously three quick bullets. Um, evidence shows that organizations that do not share survey results with frontline staff erode the trust between management and employees. And I have experienced that firsthand. Staff really um, take umbrage when they give us the courtesy of providing their feedback and we don't honor them by returning that feedback in an aggregated way and then helping them and allowing them to help us with the plan. Culture of Safety Survey helps us uncover the issues that impact productivity, engagement, morale, and the culture of the Alameda Health System. And ignoring the results and not doing anything about them sends a message that we do not value our staff's feedback and are not willing to do anything about their concerns. Um, I dare say that in the past year and a half, um, we have been um, all head and shoulders leaning in to making sure that we in fact do honor the feedback that we receive from staff. And this is another uh, manifestation of that. Moving to sustainability. Um, this is um, a, a chart showing the groups that I have presented our strategic plan to since it has been completed and the ones that are upcoming. And so again, on a very active tour to um, share the plan with as many of our constituents, both internal and external, and also to get their feedback and to make sure that they are aware of the plan and fully invested in the plan. Um, not listed here, but um, I also have been talking to Colleen Chavla about the opportunity to present the strategic plan to the uh, staff, the leadership team of uh, the Healthcare Services Agency. So um, again, I'm very proud about the work that went into creating the strategic plan and looking forward to the implementation of that plan. In regards to building trust, um, certainly the CEO rounding, I report regularly about this. And so this is um, the latest update on the data. Um, continue to get really valuable feedback from the staff by virtue of the rounds that I and the executive team are doing. Um, I've been asked if we intend to continue them and I emphatically say yes. I think that this is just terribly important to our ability to um, be in touch with the staff and to make sure that we are hearing them and that we're being responsive to their concerns and their needs. Uh, the walks, um, we had our most recent walk uh, this past weekend. Um, you see our, our group there. Including, um, sir, I think you're... Um, the nursing leader for John George and uh, yeah. So, James, I think um, we're we're losing some internet connection here. We will continue these. It's very different. I am so that. Um, it, it, hear me now. Are you able to? We're, we're a little bit back on here, James. It was a little choppy there for a second. Sir? And there he went. <laughs> um, we'll, of course, reserve time for him to get back. He's probably logging back in. Um, 
so I'm going to just move us uh, to the next item and give give uh, Mr. Jackson space when he comes back in. Let's let's go to item C, which is the medical staff reports. Uh, everyone knows that part of our job is to directly engage with some of our physician leaders. Hopefully this evening I'm scanning the room. We should have Dr. Irina Williams, uh, Dr. Adrisa Zali, and Dr. Nikki Joshi. There's Dr. Joshi, there's Dr. Vizali, there's Dr. Williams. Um, I'm, I'm just gonna go left to right on my screen if that's okay. Dr. Joshi, good evening. Then Dr. Vizali, then Dr. Williams. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for having me here today on the board of trustee meeting. Um, it's been a good dialogue so far. Thank you for that. So my report is enclosed in all of your materials. Um, and I just wanted to highlight a few great things. Number one is that our grade for Alameda Hospital through LeapFrog was a B grade for the spring of 2022. And um, that is actually excellent. When you look at the, the trajectory of where we've been, it is an upward trajectory. We are improving each time. And so we all know that there is a letter before B, but I'm happy. And I know that we also have ways to improve. So I wanted to highlight that. Uh, once again, highlight uh, that Dr. Rolofton has paved the way for a nursing quality council. They've already started to do great work. Um, they are addressing big um, um, concerns and finding opportunities within our system, which is really excellent. Um, our patient experience metrics were great. We um, uh, HCAP scores are included and April performance meeting goal. Uh, operations wise, uh, we continue to be vexed by COVID. Uh, both in terms of patient throughput and also because of staffing challenges and which of course impacts patient throughput. Um, recently, we had a lot of issues with access to echocardiography for our patients. We've been able to prove that and that was really through closely working with our system cardiology leaders. Um, we continue to work with Huron and with Ryan to give on the transfer center workflows and uh, we're starting to get to the point where the workflows that are being developed are maturing. We've, uh, I know there has been an outreach to a wider net of physician leaders to make sure the workflows are accurate and reflect the services that we have. So that's a great thing. Um, Joint Commission came, left, we passed, we did great. Uh, from the med staff perspective, we did not have any findings. Um, we have received a report on the HS strategic plan and we were excited to hear that report that Mr. Jackson has presented a few times now and hopeful to see how that will play out. Uh, patient experience. We will be working with the patient experience team and start training cohort style in August. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, the perspective will be a work group cohort. It will be to not highlight people who are deficient in how they communicate with patients, but those who seek to improve. And so the whole perspective will be positive, which I think is the right way to look at this. Uh, recently, we worked with Dr. Trelaskaya to create an NSTEMI pathway, which are those who are suffering from cardiac pathology in our community hospitals, when and how to move them to Highland if they will need uh, to go to the cath lab. And so this pathway really is an achievement because it really helps the community hospitals. And the best part was it was all done actually through email. So I really applaud Dr. Trelaskaya for leading the way on that. And really the dialogue was um, multi-specialty, the hospice, the ED and cardiology. Uh, 
areas of opportunity, um, we are continuing to work on identifying ways to improve how we transfer patients who are within Alameda Hospital, specifically the inpatient side, who need specialty care, whether that be an emergency condition that they developed or a condition that's not necessarily emergency, but one that requires moving to Highland because that's where our subspecialists are. Um, we're working on our professional standards committee and actually tomorrow will be our first training that will kick off that committee. So excited about that. That's been really led by Dr. Williams, her efforts. We've also identified opportunity uh, to do more system-wide chairs and chiefs training. Um, I know that within the institution, we have had um, a pretty robust leadership training in the last few months. Um, but recently within the MEC at Alameda Hospital, we've identified opportunities that would specifically help the physician leaders, chairs and chiefs of various departments and divisions, and looking forward to seeing what that can look like. Um, I spoke with Dr. Uh, with Mr. Jackson about that a few weeks ago. Uh, key concerns continue to be access to subspecialists. Um, I know that Dr. Gaines is working with Dr. Turner Bene of our current neurology coverage, which currently is teleneurology. And we're hopeful that there's opportunity to have more of a hybrid function in the future. Uh, we've been working with Dr. Victorino and our neurosurgeons to make sure that that access is um, as robust as it can be given the limitations that we have, um, primarily because the number of neurosurgeons that we have in our system is not so much. So we wanna make sure that we are working with them effectively. Um, an ongoing issue of compliance with our 2030 seismic requirements. And I mentioned staffing before. Staffing continues to be an incredible challenge. Um, we've been working with Dr. Lofton, meeting with her weekly of what we can be doing. We've been trying to find creative ways. Um, I wonder if at this point, we probably, we could explore more drastic, more um, out of the box types of solutions. Uh, but the bottom line is, you know, I'm speaking at a pretty public forum right now. We need help. Um, there's a lot of efforts that are underway. We are being heard, but the solutions are really, really hard to find. And the staffing concerns go way beyond nursing. This includes our echo techs, radiology techs. This includes almost every part of the hospital. And I'm not sure what the solution is or what we can do about it, but something needs to change. And that's the conclusion of my report. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Joshi. Trustees, questions for Dr. Joshi's report on Alameda Hospital. Um, I really appreciate the emphasis on staffing and something needing to be changed, the, the need for real out-the-box thinking. And I'm curious if there's been any fruitful discussions that seem like there are solutions to try besides what's already being implemented? I'm not sure. I know that Dr. Lofton is, you know, the one who's really spearheading the efforts. Um, some ideas have been tossed around. You know, the, the issue with solutions is that we need help right now, and then we need help in the long term. And so the types of solutions that can be proposed for either one are different. Um, you know, long-term, we need a robust pipeline program. We need to recruit great people, uh, foster them, train them, uh, promote them. Uh, but the short term is, is really an issue. And I'm not sure 
Um, and, and again, this is me really giving an answer that has no foundation on anything realistic, but at what point do you call in um, the National Guard, for example, for help? And that's, you know, obviously military and that's not what we are, but that is how it feels like to me, uh, that level of crisis that we are at. And I would be curious, and again, thinking outside the box, no foundation or anything that could even remotely be realistic. But at one point, do we reach out to the governor and say, we need help? And we are not alone. It is the public hospitals in California. And so I'd be curious, could California as a state do something? Again, not founded on anything <laughs> that's um, uh, founded on anything. I think these are excellent questions. I don't think they're outside the realm of asking. I mean, uh, Dr. Chair, you are probably the best person to say this, but I would love to hear from our uh, GR team, from Ms. Brigham, to know how we are doing this kind of uh, conversations with elected leaders, because those are the folks that have to save our public health system. I'll come in with some questions. And what I always like to do is we feel something and I'm not challenging anyone. I you never challenge on anyone on the feelings, but what's what's the quant? Do we have a feel on the quant on this problem, Dr. Joshi? Like, for example, what is our what is our dashboard for, the, for this issue? Um, for example, one number might be percent of shifts which are not fully staffed. Do we have that kind of scale? Is this like 75% of our shifts are not fully staffed. Do we have this kind of dashboard to help fuel the quant on this question? I'm not sure, but it must exist um, at a minimum on a day-to-day -day basis, um, our staffing, you know, people call in, people call out. So yeah. that day-to-day shift-by-shift data is there. I'm not sure how it's necessarily tracked day by week by month, um, but it is more often than not, uh, I walk into an emergency department shift and we are short staffed. And what happens is people work very hard and they work hard to fill in the gaps. And it may be that I, as the doctor, don't necessarily know how deep the staffing uh, limitations are for that particular day, but it's um, starting, people are starting to crack under the frustration um, a nurse pulled me aside when I was working a shift the other day and just expressed the, the fatigue of having to just um, work so hard with um, the conditions that we're all in. And again, these are fantastic people who are absolutely dedicated to HS, who also understand that this is not an easy solution. It's not like somebody out there is withholding a resource, but it's... Um, Two and a half years into the pandemic, it, it feels very, very fatiguing. Trustee Bouquet? Yes, sir. Mr. Fratsky, sir. Um, I appreciate what Dr. Joshi is saying. Um, and it isn't just the safety net hospitals. It's a condition of healthcare right now. And it isn't just nurses. I think Dr. Joshi and the physicians on the, on the board meeting night would say there's shortages with our docs in a lot of areas as well. There's shortages in radiology. There's shortages in respiratory therapy. You can march right down the line of all of our clinical departments across our system, and um, there are shortages. 
So, you know, we're doing the best we can. Um, and, and we always look for better ideas in terms of, you know, offering the bonus pay, which in the short term can help, but the pandemic is now two and a half years to Dr. Joshi's point and people get burned out even with, you know, bonuses um, with the shifts they work. Um, but, you know, we're, we're looking for travelers um, as much as we can um, to help fill the gaps that we have and re any registry that we have. And believe it or not, it's just not a, a shortage of staff. There are shortages in leadership positions, too, when leadership positions become vacant. So um, we're open to all suggestions. Um, and it's a work in progress every single day we come to work by, by the entire system. Yes, sir. Uh, I, I think this is going to, and I ask us to consider, I'm not telling, I'm not directing anyone to do this, but one of our pillars is staff and patient experience. And another one of our pillars is sustainability. So a, a common theme, again, I look for the metric as we scale and scope problems. This, this one probably feels, it feels very deep. Uh, uh, but, you know, I, I ask us to consider what, what is the metric to determine whether we're, we're getting better or not, you know, percent of staffs shift, uh, percent of shifts, hundred percent staffed would be a metric to consider. You know, we were at, you know, 20% last year and maybe we're at 15. So I, I ask us to consider that as we continue this ongoing dialogue, because staffing it qualitatively has been on this report for quite some time. Yeah. But it's, it's di difficult to discern as a trustee, yeah. is this problem better or worse empirically? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And we've got that data, Trustee Bouquet. Um, and I appreciate that kind of thinking comments um, as a way to track progress or lack right. of progress. Or lack of, yes, sir. So uh, thank you, Dr. Joshi, for, for, for speaking up. Uh, I think it's uh, this is not a concern unique to uh, Alameda Hospital or our system or the like. And these, these are grander problems that uh, we have to try to be innovative around. And I think it starts with uh, knowing the quant of this. Any other comments or questions of Dr. Joshi before we move to Dr. Zali? Um, Trustee Banerjee. Yeah, I just like their understanding that in the short term, as desperately as the staff wanted, there, there is no solution, but I want to listen to, I think, um, try some of these opportunities. And uh, was Dr. Uh, Brigham planning to say something? I'm sorry, did we cut you off? So I wanted to make sure you had. No, I'll, I'll certainly say something after you speak, uh, Trustee Banerjee. Okay, I, I did want to say, please, extend gratitude to the staff like there is just we need to affirm and honor and value just how hard they are working at a time when there's no short-term solution coming and yeah turn it over to you Tanjuri. Ms. Brigham thank yes, you I mean, I mean I think we all recognize the challenges uh, as Mark was indicating our healthcare delivery system I think there are a few things that the state is trying to do, um, at least on the support side, the state has a one point, almost $9 billion initiative trying to shore up uh, key staff uh, to help from social workers to community health workers to uh, behavioral health workers, particularly those individuals who are people of color, who can help 
with um, individuals who don't have English as their primary language. You know, if we believe that there are um, opportunities for, or that we should seek waivers around some of our staffing, that uh, opportunity, I believe, still exists while we are in the public health emergency and happy to connect with Dr. Doshi and others um, to determine what avenues we might pursue at the statewide level. Thank you, Ms. Brigham. And as we move to Dr. Fazali, I, I'll, I, I will reiterate what my friend and colleague, Trustee Banerjee just said. Uh, uh, thanks and appreciation. It palliates, doesn't cure, but it palliates some of the discomfort uh, that, that the people are going through. So I think it's important for us to uh, continue to set the theme of appreciation for the, for the people who do all this work. Right, Trustee Banerjee? Um, with that, we'll close with Dr. Joshi. Dr. Fazali, good evening, sir. Uh, good evening, all. Um, I'd like to start out by uh, uh, commenting on our uh, subspecialty coverage, um, specifically cardiology. There's been a number of wins uh, on, in that department. Uh, San Leandro has now expanded to having 24-7 formal cardiology uh, consult uh, coverage. Uh, which is which is great, uh, which means uh, anything other than those needing intervention can be admitted uh, locally. Previously, we were on an informal consult service with the, with the group that serves uh, San Leandro. Uh, and uh, as uh, Dr. Joshi mentioned, uh, the instemic pathway for uh, those patients that need intervention uh, to Highland, not only from the ED, but from the inpatient side, um, although there's still some uh, bumps in the road uh, until uh, that process is smoothed out from the inpatient, uh, from the ED, uh, this is a this is a big win. Uh, but I, I don't mean to um, uh, downplay the uh, the inpatient win as well. Uh, but that, that's a that's a much bigger process and a and a unfamiliar process that still uh, kind of needs to be um, hammered out. Uh, but overall. Uh, uh, an example of how the system can work well uh, together in, uh, uh, in caring for our patients. Um, the uh, next item I wanted to, to touch on is the one we just uh, ended and that's staffing. As I uh, wrote these updates towards the end of June, um, our staffing in San Leandro was starting to look a little bit better. Uh, it seems I, uh, uh, I was a bit, uh, I jumped the gun on, on that comment. Uh, July has been probably uh, as bad as it's ever been uh, at San Leandro. And uh, it's compounded by the fact that our volume has gone up uh, so much in the ED specifically. Uh, there's this downstream effect from radiology to lab to inpatient. Uh, the floor is not having capacity to take patients up. Uh, it all just kind of uh, moves downstream into the, into the ED, uh, which not only ends up boarding patients longer, uh, but we have uh, we don't have the option of not taking patients, so the patients keep coming. Uh, and on the flip side, it's harder to get patients transferred out. Highland has been on search red almost daily, um, and so I can't even imagine what it would be like to work in the Highland ET. But uh, it doesn't sound fun. Um, and so I'll, I'll say no more about it. But uh, I feel Dr. Joshi's uh, uh, you know, the pain that's in her voice when, when she speaks about staffing in the ED. Um, and 
and yeah, we feel that it's on the end as well. Um, the other item I will highlight in my in my report is the EMS delays. The, there have been longer and longer delays uh, in getting uh, rigs to uh, transport patients, whether they go to uh, uh, skilled nursing facilities or transfers. Uh, the, I assume it's because of the same challenges we're facing because of staffing, because they have the rigs, they just don't have enough people to drive them. Um, but that, that's been adding to the issue. Um, radiology equipment is on there because our radiology, uh, our portable x-ray machine failed, but that has been fixed. I'm happy to report and I appreciate the quick response on that. Um, I have a table up there. I like sharing volume and I'm, I'm hoping that I can uh, share uh, more metrics as, as we uh, uh, as we go ahead. The uh, table I have in, in the report uh, shares volume uh, from May of last year uh, and May of this year and the sort of overall percent change among the sites. Um, the uh, overall number isn't important, but I think it's, uh, it's worth highlighting the, the uh, sort of big role that the community sites are pay, uh, are uh, are playing from the system. We're seeing the biggest bump in our in our uh, volumes. Alameda is of course leading the way with almost a twenty six percent climb in May. Uh, in June, uh, they all they still hold the lead uh, with. <coughs> excuse me. Uh, Alameda and San Leandro still seeing the biggest bumps in volume. Um, our uh, leadership committee will be having its formal meeting again on uh, August 2nd, our quarterly meeting. So uh, hopefully we'll have some more important updates for you then. Uh, have to answer any questions at this point. Thank you for your report, Dr. Vzali. Trustees, any questions of Dr. Vzali? Question about this increase in volume to the community hospitals. I mean, is there any understanding about why this is? Um, so for the month of July, I know the volumes have pumped up because of COVID. We're seeing quite a bit of COVID walk through um, our emergency departments right now. Um, and I guess I would ask Edris when it's gone up, you know, what is that? Is that number? I know when San Leandro gets high, it's up around um, 100, 110, isn't it, Dr. Avzali? So is that, I think, you know, that's considered high where usually it's at around 80, 90 a day, typically. So um, it, much of it right now, I think, uh, Trustee has seen is the condition of, of the, the, the COVID um, that's going on. And we see those spikes. I mean, they seem to be coming around, you know, every three to four to five months. Yeah, I just think it's curious that they're such a huge increase in Alameda and San Leandro and a almost no increase at all in Highland. You know, that I, I'd well, like I, to say it's about COVID, but maybe it's because San Leandro yeah. and Alameda are seen as good providers. You know, maybe yeah, no, people Highland, are coming for trust. Yeah, and Highland has spiked too this week. I mean, we were at a census of 100 in our ED this afternoon at Highland. So that's, that's real significant for us. Yeah. Council, you have your hand up. Yeah, so uh, uh, Trustee Splendori is a little under the weather, so I'm going to uh, ask the question here. So for, uh, on behalf of Trustee Splendorio, so for point two, 
his question is, is there any technology or infrastructure that in, can improve wait times? Point two, relating to uh, EMS um, delays. Yes. So uh, on the EMS side, um, we don't have any uh, technology that interfaces with them. So it's basically a phone call is uh, all we have. Uh, on the hospital, the hospital side, there is technology and, and, and we're utilizing that. Specifically, uh, I'll refer to John George. We have the uh, referral process in place where everything is done through Epic and they're able to access the chart and review the chart and basically accept the patient on their end, uh, which previously required three or four uh, phone calls back and forth. Uh, and now it's all done uh, electronically and we can track the timeframe within each uh, individual's uh, response uh, or completion of their, of their uh, task. Uh, on the EMS side, unfortunately, uh, I'm not aware. If anyone else uh, is aware, please feel free to comment, but it's basically a phone call now. And then uh, getting an ETA, uh, generally they uh, show up short of their ETA, so they overestimate the wait times. Uh, but uh, in general, these wait times have basically ballooned over the past couple of months. Chair, Chair Bouquet, one more question. Uh, yeah, keep it coming. Splendoria would like to ask. So with respect to point four, why are there uh, radiology failures? How old is our equipment? Should we budget for new improved equipment? Good, good um, for Trustee Splendoria. Actually, let me quote to the audience because the report says, uh, it's, it's a striking statement. Radiology failure is becoming regular part of operations. So Trustee Splendorio was doing his reading. Can you address why that statement was put in, uh, Dr. Sally? Yes, uh, there was a, a week in, um, uh, in, in June where we had the radiology equipment and the, and the, CAT, the CAT scanner that went out at the same time. Um, the CT machine is a portable machine. We are waiting um, a new uh, a CT machine to be put into the into the uh, building. Uh, that's a uh, a huge project. I respect that. Uh, the portable machine, the uh, trailer, uh, does uh, seem to quite regularly require maintenance. Um, and then, un unfortunately, that gets compounded by Alameda's machine going down, and San Leandro uh, relies on Alameda pretty heavily um, mm -hmm. as well. And so when we have to move patients between sites at, uh, you know, what, what should take one to two hours turns into a five to six hour project. Um, and then even small failures on top of that. So for example, the portable uh, radiology uh, or x-ray machine going down uh, and needing uh, a cassette replaced uh, just sort of highlights the, the issue with that. Um, that plus uh, not having certain services 24 hours a day, seven days a week, or having very limited uh, staff to, to cover that. Uh, for example, ECHO uh, that Dr. Uh, Joshi mentioned uh, previously, uh, or uh, uh, having sick calls on, for staff on, on the same day for radiology, so then they can't do portable x-rays and everything has to be done in, in the radiology suite because there's only one person on for the entire hospital. Um, that's what I meant uh, when I said that it becomes part of a, a regular part of our operations. There's seems to be one challenge or another. Yes, sir. Mr. Fratsky, sorry, your hands up. 
Oh, yeah. Thank you, Trustee. Um, I Just a quick comment on San Leandro. Um, you know, it, it is, it has had older equipment for a number of years, and there is episodic breakdown of the equipment, as, as Dr. Avzali has said. The good news is we're going to be bringing in a brand new CT scan with remodeling that the board has approved, along with a fixed x-ray unit, along with a portable x-ray machine and a brand new C-arm. So we're, we've got everything that lining up um, to get it ordered um, and do the remodeling, et cetera. Um, and we'll do everything we can to keep things patched together best we can as we get to that point where um, the, the system failures are, are pretty non-existent, I would say, at San Leandro at some point. In the future state, yes, sir. Dr. Avzali, uh, uh, your COO was uh, making allusion to what part of our approval tonight is a 1.4 billion, uh, sorry, million, not billion, $1.4 million contract for the, for the spacing for the CT repair. So yeah, th this is certainly not lost on, on, on this administration and the board who's approving it, but that's different when you're down there daily in the trenches, isn't it? Okay. Thank you for your report, Dr. Vzali. Trustees, any other questions? Uh, any other questions of Dr. Vzali? Thank you. Dr. Williams, good evening. Good evening. Um, thank you uh, for giving me an opportunity to provide my report tonight. Um, I was on vacation for the last two weeks, so my written report is relatively short, but as I've been back, I've been learning about some additional um, sort of concerns that I will be bringing up today. Um, I wanted to start with sharing some of the accomplishments. Um, I wanted to echo Dr. Joshi's um, uh, what Dr. Joshi has shared about the Professional Standards Committee. Um, we're getting closer and closer to launching this um, important new committee, and uh, we're looking forward to providing the training tomorrow to the prospective members, and uh, we hope to make it also available to those who is not able to attend that training. In addition, we're in the final stages of finalizing the sharing agreement between medical staff in the BMG. Um, the significance of that is that it's going to be sort of the first agreement of um, it, uh, this kind, and it will um, uh, help support communication and um, alignment um, between uh, medical staffs and the medical group and um, help avoid duplicate efforts uh, in the certain aspects of our work. So we're very excited about uh, the progress on this and hope that we can finalize this agreement over the next few months. Um, in terms of the key concerns, I wanted to echo the concerns about staffing. Um, you know, San Leandro Hospital is, is a part of uh, AHS medical staff. And um, when I was there today doing my clinical work, I have learned that there are potentially more um, staffing shortages that may be happening there. So um, I, essentially, I'm echoing the concerns from Dr. Vizali and Dr. Joshi that staffing um, support is becoming more and more challenging and it's worrisome um, that it seems like um, it's it continue, it's starting to get worse again when we were thinking that it was getting better. So we appreciate any support and guidance from the leadership with that. Um, another concern that I wanted to um, share that sort of 
came up uh, recently has been around uh, provider onboarding. Um, it appears that um, there are some opportunities in this process and um, um, a current way of onboarding um, doesn't seem to be as aligned between the various um, sort of um, parts of the organization that participate in this process as it could be, um, which leads to some frustrations and additional work on the chair and division chief side uh, whenever we bring a new provider on board, which with the help of EBMG, we, we've been hiring a lot and growing our services a lot, which has been positive. Um, there are some efforts happening system-wide to help us address this concern about onboarding and uh, EBMG as well as the um, smart team seem to be on board. So hopefully more to come on this and hopefully we will make progress um, in, in this area soon. Um, another concern that I have brought up to the board's attention before, it's sort of um, more of a standing item, I guess, at this point is um, department chair search and some challenges that we've, we've been having with recruitment from a number of department chairs. Um, I do have good news to share that the chair of the Department of Anesthesiology has started. So we do have one new chair who has recently joined AHS and it is actually my <laughs> department chair. So I'm looking forward to um, working um, with this position in this capacity. And um, that concludes my report. I'm open to any questions. Thank you for your report, Dr. Williams. Trustees looking around, any questions for Dr. Williams? Dr. Williams, uh, thanks for that report. Here's my question. Uh, uh, because I've heard I've heard the ongoing onboarding discussion uh, in a variety of forums that exist. In your opinion, who should own the onboarding of a new physician to the organization? Uh, that's a that's a great question. Um, it's one of I, those things. If everyone's in charge, no one's in charge, <laughs> and that might be an issue. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would think that it probably falls more under the medical group. However, given the complexity of our organization and our complex structure, I think there are other um, departments um, that should be a part of this process. So it's still more of a team effort, I think. Um, there's definitely medical staff component. There is um, AHS component to it, but I agree with you that it's helpful to have sort of one part of the organization taking more lead uh, on this to help streamline and organize this process better. Yeah, and it, it, it begs other questions. What if it's a non-EBMG physician? Who, who is responsible for that onboarding? Who's, right. And who's, who's responsible for the onboarding of non-physicians? And I think that's HR in our associate, in, in, our, in our health system. So these, these are sort of the contemplative questions we have um, because uh, as I say, every system is perfectly designed to achieve its results. And maybe we have confusion because we don't have the design around it. Um, so, so something for us all to ponder and consider. Yeah, and of course, having the complexity of having multiple medical groups with the BMG sort of being the most prevalent makes this a even more challenging process. But I think um, 
the medical group, even when it's not in BMG, should probably still um, take some sort of lead and responsibility for it. And uh, the, we should be able to provide support and work uh, in alignment with um, the particular medical group. Okay. Well, thank you for your report. I'm looking around, trustees. Any other questions of any of our chiefs of staff as we close out this item? I, I, this is Kinkini. I just wanted to add that uh, the quant um, that you were asking Dr. Joshi, probably uh, the 26% increase in ED volume does say, speak speak volumes too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's that definitely one of the quants, right? Um, so I, we look for the data to sort of, sort of inform us uh, and be a guide. Uh, Alameda Hospital, uh, year over year, uh, for May of this year versus May of last year, they saw 388 more patients this May than last year. The San Leandro ED saw 303 more patients this May than the, than the May prior. So that's a great piece. That's a great metric, right? Because volume is going to put greater taxation on the HR resources that we have. So I think these are the kind of pieces of data that we're going to be hopefully looking for. Uh, uh, with that, we'll close. Thank you for that question, Trustee Banerjee. With that, we'll close out item C. We're not going to go to item D yet, Dr. Achilles Warren and Ms. Perez, because our CEO's Wi-Fi came back up, and he. Uh, I want to give him an opportunity to finish out his report. Mr. Jackson, sir, I, I, I can't remember exactly where you were uh, before it went a little sketchy on us. There we go. I think that's kind of where we were. Yeah, I do believe I was here. Thank you for your indulgence, and I do apologize for my Wi-Fi. I'm going to blame, I'm going to start with my wife because I'm sure she was doing something. <laughs> that, and, and if that doesn't work, I'm blaming Mark Amy because that's my standby. That's my go-to move. Man, so, I, thought um, you were, I thought you were a smart CEO. You're going to blame your wife? Oh, man. Well, as long as she doesn't hear about it, just don't tell <laughs> her. Um, but um, I just have a couple of slides left. So in, in regards to quality care, um, our update on the vaccinations, um, this is noteworthy. And um, so... We are at 95% of our employees being fully vaccinated, which obviously leaves 5% unvaccinated. The 97% of employees receiving boosters, I need to clarify that, 97% of the 95% is what that refers to. So that is a, a nuance that is sometimes lost on people. So um, we are not being inconsistent when we say that 97% have received booster. It's of the vaccinated patient or staff, 97% have received their first booster and it's only the first um, simply because the second booster is not required yet. And so we are requiring the first booster and that's what that alludes to. And then in regards to the second booster, we are offering it. I just received mine last week, but it's on, on a voluntary basis because it's not required as of yet. And that is the end of my report. Um, I apologize for the, the break, but if there are any questions, I'd be happy to entertain them. Trustees, any, uh, Mr. Jackson, sir, if you'll put us back to big screen. Um, trustees, any questions of our CEO on his report? Scanning. Thank you, Mr. Jackson, sir. Well, my ploy of the interrupted report so they forget what I said before worked fabulously, <laughs> and so my pleasure. And 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 again, I'll I'll end with how you opened and and uh, condolences and and wishes to the Lou family. Um, with that, we'll close out item C. Next, we have. Um, uh, our standing report from East Bay Medical Group. Uh, our, our presenters are Dr. Chitra Kilaswaran, the president of East Bay Medical Group, Dr. Bernice Perez, 
is also the, uh, the, the chair of uh, EBMG's board. So um, I don't think there was a submitted report. So these, these items will be uh, to you in, in live time. Good evening. Good evening, trustees and um, audience members. Um, thank you for, for having us for this update today. Um, and I really appreciate um, being able to hear the, the medical staff reports and being in touch with those leaders because um, the issues that they've raised are um, important. And I think we have a part to play in addressing them. Um, I think the uh, report that I'm providing today will start to address some of the challenges around physician experience. That's sort of the focus of today. Um, but before I before I move on, um, I have to I have to talk about sort of the moral injury of the environment that we find ourselves in, particularly as an OBGYN. Um, and I know that we've been talking about Roe v. Wade, but um, it's very real, it's very existential, and it's an ongoing conversation. And I think for uh, those of us who are abortion providers, um, it's extremely top of mind. I know there's a ton of work being done in our department to um, start to ramp up capacity and um, be a solution um, for this issue. So this was a quote from the dissenting opinion that um, I'll include in your packet eventually. So um, the way that the way that we're sort of thinking about East Bay Medical Group is um, it you know it's an arc. Um, the medical group. Um, is, is in its sort of arc of maturing um, as an organization. And um, the first phase in the last year um, and a half was really to create a foundation to be able to recruit and retain clinicians because that's the primary purpose of the group is to be able to staff our clinical services and um, be able to provide patient care. Um, our phase that we're entering into right now, I would say we're in a transition um, where we've mostly stabilized um, the the sort of leaving of doctors that we saw last year, we had um, you know somewhere around 12% of our staff leave um, and a number of other SANs and um, folks that were filling in the gaps. And I would say that our staffing models um, also just demonstrated some of the um, weaknesses um, that we had. We were overly reliant on per diem physicians, didn't have enough staff. We had been understaffed in a number of specialties for a number of years. Um, and therefore, when you know, we've been um, coming upon this, um, this new administration and the growth and the um, expansion of services that we've attempted to um, embark on, we just don't, simply don't have the, the ability to do that. And so there is some breaking um, that, that's been occurring. But I'm, just as one statistic, we onboarded 23 doctors this month. Um, and so um, a number of them are staff, a number of them are SANs, but what I do know is that they're all excited to work with us in this phase that we are in right now, and I think that's a testament to um, not only the stabilizing that we've done over the last year, but also just the morale of the, the current physicians and um, the ability to recruit. And so this phase is really about physician experience, and that really lines up with one of the strategic plan pillars um, of staff and physician experience. And so I wanted to just kind of break down just at the high level what how we're thinking about that, um, because many of the issues that have been raised today really have to do with kind of the day-to-day -day experience of physicians, um, including onboarding, including um, just feeling as if you're carrying the burden of, of feeling of being understaffed across various disciplines. So I've mentioned some of these initiatives before, but I'm putting this into a bit more of a structure. Um, there are four areas of physician experience that East Bay Medical Group is going to focus on. The first is inclusivity and belonging and actually creating opportunities for collection, connection, 
um, and being together. Um, we need to feel kinship with each other. We need to feel like all our, our voices matter. We need to feel like we belong to something and that something cares about us. Um, and so there's a committee that will be formed to, to assist that. And I know I um, got a, a very nice email from Trustee Banerjee with um, resources that will help inform the charter of that committee. Um, leadership development is another area. And I think we know that um, when we're understaffed and when staff morale is down, it's really the leaders that are left to pick up the pieces of that. And so um, this is just gonna be again, foundational, but really starting to invest in leadership development, recognizing that our leaders need to not only um, have fair uh, time allocations um, and compensation, but also um, support and development. Um, the next area is of course, why we're here, patient care and impact. We need to measure what we're doing so we can show that we're providing high quality care and feed that back to physicians so they know that they're doing a good job. Um, we know that our physicians want to do a good job and um, by reporting um, data back to them, we can actually demonstrate that and hopefully um, even show improvement, which I think will raise morale. And then finally, just continuing on sustainability and wellness, which is what we've really tried to do foundationally over the last year by continuing to improve compensation as well as opportunities for self-care. So I'll just run through some of these. I'll include them in the packet um, eventually, but we're gonna establish a committee on inclusivity belonging and really defining the physician identity at AHS, which will go beyond EVMG, but um, start with these East Bay Medical Group since we are the largest, um, largest uh, employer of physicians. Um, I also wanna note that we have retained um, with a very small contract at a local branding agency so that we can start to just establish um, some form of visual identity, um, which I think will help not only with a web presence, we're getting increasing demands for, I can't find you on, on, on Google. Um, how do we know that you're a real medical group? Um, you know, how do we, how do we figure out how to apply for these jobs? Um, so those are good things, right? I mean, we, we didn't invest in that over the last year and we're, we're very good, we're a very small footprint on the AHS website, but what I'm hoping to do is work with the PACE team and work with, um, you know, our communications folks so that we really meld the EBMG brand with the AHS brand and everything's interconnected. Um, and yet physicians still need a place to go where they feel like this is, this is who I belong to. Um, so, so we'll be embarking on a very small um, design exercise um, shortly. With the second area, leadership development, we're starting off with actually just determining what are the competencies of AHS physician leaders? What are the things that um, physician leaders need to be able to do? Um, and then we're embarking on some self-assessments. So we're gonna start with self-assessments to validate those competency areas so we start to define what does it mean to be a, a great physician leader at AHS, and then we'll move on to probably 360 reviews later this year. Um, and so this initial exercise will be voluntary, but I think the folks that step up will be very enthusiastic about um, ensuring that we really are defining what good physician leader looks uh, leadership looks like at AHS. And then with the third area being patient care and impact, um, I've been fortunate enough to work with across disciplines with the business intelligence team, the quality team, as well as finance on creating an EVMG specific dashboard that really will um, waterfall from the, um, the True North metric dashboard. Um, so the pillars are the same, but really focus on physician level metrics that we can impact. Um, and so these are some of the metrics that are going to be on this dashboard. This will be reported monthly um, to our physician leaders and to all of our physicians. And 
what we're hoping to do is enable the leaders to be able to click in so they can see at the individual level what's happening with all of these um, various metrics. There will also be um, a second dashboard that's just focused um, on QIP and quality, clinical quality um, that will be specialty specific. So the metrics that are associated with each specialty that also um, ladder up to our quality, um, our larger quality metrics in the organization. I think this is um, probably the biggest thing that we can do this year. This will just change the culture of the organization. Our physicians will have to become more data-driven, which they already want to be, but we just don't have access to the data that we want regularly. Um, and we'll start to react to data in different ways. So, you know, just seeing RVUs on here, for example, I think has given some people an allergic reaction. Um, but the idea is how do we just start to present data to people, um, to our physicians in particular, so that we can either decide it's valid or it's invalid, it's useful, it's not useful. We have to start a conversation somewhere. Um, and to date, it's been this sort of very circular conversation about, well, we can't use this metric because it's not accurate and um, that data is not going to tell us anything. And so why do we even need to look at it? And well, let's just start looking at it. Um, the other thing that um, we've noted is there are bright spots. There are people that are excelling in all of these areas. And so how are they doing it? And how can we share those practices so that we inspire um, other physicians to, um, to learn and grow and become better. Um, and so that's, that's something I'm really excited about that only a medical group, an aggregated multi-specialty medical group could do. This is not individual physician leaders trying to manage their own specialties, but actually a cross-pollination of ideas across specialties, which I think is gonna lift everybody up. And then finally, on the last area of physician experience, sustainability and wellness, um, we're still working on um, some compensation-related work for next year, um, leadership in particular, um, benchmarking that appropriately. Um, we are also working on initiatives around diversity in recruitment and retention, um, mental health support for physicians, and also some benefits innovation for more senior physicians to keep them on board. Um, and I would say that with respect to some of the issues that were brought up um, earlier, in the medical staff reports, you know, just the sort of immediacy of needing staffing, of making sure that your badge is on when you first get here. Um, those are things that we're all, we're involved with those conversations as well. And staffing is of course, has been a primary sort of area of concern and, and um, focus of mine um, in terms of getting people in the door and um, on board and wanting to work with us. So hopefully all of these efforts to continue improving the physician experience and looking forward and providing hope and inspiration to people that there is a path ahead will also draw people in. Um, and so that concludes my report. Thank you, Dr. Akilasporan. Trustees, uh, questions for Dr. Akilasporan? Trustee Banerjee. Yeah, thank you for this update, um, Dr. Akhilasvaran. Really good to see the kind of 360 way, the leadership, the wellness, the patient impact was really uh, good. I wonder as there and, and the all of the other day-to-day -day experiences, um, again, I'm just hoping there's cross-pollination with the smaller groups that don't have the backbone support to do this. So even if they're not participating, if they can like learn in real time, so it could be implemented. I think that would be nice so that all physicians across the system, no matter which physician group they work in are, you know, learning from your, uh, from this biggest group that you are able to do these. 
Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. Sorry. No, go for it. I, I just want to say, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think there's, we're still in this sort of, um, you know, EBMG is new. Um, I think we have the opportunity just given the organization that we have and the investment that AHS is making in us, in us to lead the way on what is a physician, what is a good physician experience in our organization. And I really do hope that this, the, the sort of energy around this spreads and that we can actually spread those practices to other physicians, which who, who inevitably interact with us every day. So um, I'm confident of that. And Felicia and I work very closely together on pretty much everything. So I, I know that this will, um, this will permeate, permeate the organization. Thank you, Dr. Killis Warren. Trustees, any other questions? I guess my comment as we, as we talk about data is we, we now actually have some score data to come. Now score reports are not exclusive to EBMG. There are some groups which are not, but it's, I think it's a great starter point. I think 15 physician group, subgroups were, 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 were pulled out. So uh, I just saw the report from GI. So uh, I think these are great opportunities for us to look at the quant of how we measure things, which, are, which, is, a, which, which is one good way to go, not forgetting the qual of personal experience. So with that, we will close out that item. Uh, thank you, Dr. Akilah Swaran. Uh, we'll go to item E, committee and trustee reports. I'm hoping to gain a little bit of time back here. Uh, we'll go quickly. The current board roster, I just put this up just as a reminder to us that we have board rosters. A couple of things as I quickly go through this. Five of our nine trustees are women. Five of our nine trustees are uh, people identified as people of color. So I, I think that this puts us in a relatively unique position amongst boards of organizations this large. Uh, that's just one comment on our overall on our current board roster. I'm just gonna go quickly through each of our major uh, standing committees. The audit compliance committee has five members, Bouquet, Blue, Chapman, Friedman, Charing, and Splendorio. Um, and, and please correct me if, the, if any of these are wrong. Um, Ideally, in discussion with council, we try not to have a quorum of the board. Um, so at five, we actually have a quorum of the full board. Um, I'm going to drop off the audit compliance as a voting member. As everyone knows, I sit ex officio on all committees for which I'm not a voting member, and I go to all the committee meetings anyway. So uh, uh, Ms. Rana, if you will uh, note that I will drop off as an official voting member, that'll drop us down to four. And then, and then council won't have that stress look at me, face uh, stress face look at me all the time. Um, next is the executive committee. We have four members of that, Bukent, Jensen, Esteen, and Banerjee. We had a meeting today, um, uh, so we'll maintain that as it is. The finance committee does have five members, Blue, Esteen, Fox, Charing, Friedman, and Splendorio. Now, uh, one can argue what the most important committee is on that, if there is such a one, but uh, I, I'm actually okay with us being loaded to quorum on that one, Council. We just have to keep uh, making noted uh, notations on special meetings and the like. Um, next is HR. HR also has five, uh, Banerjee, Blue, Charing, Chapman, Esteen, and Jensen. So we... Uh, uh, I'll leave that one up to the HR committee to decide on that. One of our guiding principles is trustees should, should strive to be on a minimum of two committees, ideally each of you chairing something or leading something. So that's one of our guiding principles. And last is QPSC. QPSC has four, 
Banerjee, Bouquet, Charing, Estine, and Jensen. So those are sort of, I just wanted to remind ourselves of those committees. We put this report in every block. I, I'll always be happy to, as uh, I'll always be happy to entertain dialogue if, uh, if someone desires moving committees or the like. So I'm gonna close out item E1 unless there's any discussion. Great, let's go to item E2. This is audit and compliance from June 15, 2022. Uh, Chair Friedman, sir. Thank you very much. I'll be quick. We had a good meeting, but unfortunately there was never a time when we had a quorum because several members either had to leave early or came late or didn't come, but it was still a very good discussion. We talked about the annual financial audit plan, the uh, charter review, uh, an extensive uh, discussion on cybersecurity, uh, the approval of the 20 fiscal year 23 audit and compli compliance plan. We couldn't formally approve that, but we did give direction that it was on the right track. And that was pretty much it. Mr. Chair, sir, because we did not reach a quorum, uh, can, you can you advise regarding the timing or mechanism to approve whatever needed to be approved? Apologies, I was there. I just, I'm sort of just remembering. It, is it, do we get burned? No, actually, you weren't there. You didn't oh. make it. <laughs> okay, so maybe I didn't make it. But now that you're off the committee, it's going to be easier to get a quorum. <laughs> so thank you for doing that. Okay, well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so yeah, we can pick those things up at the next meeting. Um, we staff got the direction they needed, but the formal approval will come at the next meeting. Okay, thank you, sir. So it, it's not slowing anything down. Good, yes, sir. And, and, and to the audience and the trustees, re a reminder that audit and compliance and HR, both are quarterly committee meetings. So three, uh, four times a year each. Uh, sorry, yeah, that's, that's right. So uh, next is item E3, the QPSC from May 25th and June 22nd. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna keep this very tight. We did the regular work of credentialing things, uh, reviewing policies and procedures, hearing our quality reports, and directly interacting with our med staff leaders as we just did here. There were two marquee QI presentations. Uh, uh, this is Dr. Tornabene's sort of agenda item to find a QI uh, point of discussion. Uh, she picked the BIRADS to biopsy program, which relates to women and, and biopsies uh, uh, following mammograms, which show something. And uh, last month we heard about the pelvic <coughs> pain program which was actually a very impressive presentation. Uh, so I'm gonna keep it tight on them. Those trustees who are in the, in the room were, were pretty impressed by both of those. Uh, next uh, item E4, Finance Committee, July 6th, Trustee Fox, Chair Fox. Okay, uh, our CFO reported that uh, we continue to have a strong uh, result financially. Uh, year to date, our net income is 116 million compared to 18 million uh, budgeted. Um, uh, the variance, the favorable variance is primarily coming from higher than budgeted collection rates and uh, higher than expected government, uh, government program and supplemental revenue. Volume has generally been below budget year to date, except for trauma cases uh, and observation days and clinic visits, which are ahead of budget. Um, and the NNB, uh, which was $16 million favorable, meaning the county owes us, if you wanted to put it that way, uh, increased to $33 million favorable as of May 31. Um, so that, that's a, a terrific development for us. We also had reports on infrastructure capital projects. 
uh, performance improvement initiatives, uh, and on uh, update on our commercial payer contracting strategy. And we had uh, Sandra Wellington talk about uh, the work that she's done in that regard. And we now have contracts with virtually all of the major commercial payers in our market, which is a, uh, an excellent achievement. Uh, and it, it really puts us in the category of what I would call a well-managed system from that perspective. Uh, the action items were approving the contracts that are on our agenda tonight, uh, the Johnson & Johnson contract for trauma production, trauma products and supplies, and the DeVille co construction contract uh, for construction related to the, and, and made necessary for the San Leandro Hospital uh, new CT machine that we talked about uh, earlier. Yes, sir. And that concludes my report. Trustees, any questions of that? Uh, uh, I, I don't know if I have, actually I do have some questions. Uh, which are sort of uh, softball questions. Um, uh, and Madam CFO's in the room too. Is it, is it safe to say that the end year financials for this fiscal are, are the most positive we've had in the past half decade? Madam CFO, if you, I, I, I wanna give you, I wanna give you speaking here. <laughs> yes, I believe this is the best year in the history of Yes, ma'am. So I was I was loading you into half decade, but actually, it's probably since the origin of this uh, uh, health system uh, in 1998. So I, I think that that deserves emphasis. The the best end of year financials this organization has ever performed ha had. Second, have have we ever had a net negative balance which was not negative? I think it was paid off at one previous time. I'd have to pull the slide, yeah. but uh, uh, I think that was one year towards towards maybe early 2000. Yes, yes, ma'am. So I think in, 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 in for anyone who can remember. And third, with regard to commercial payers, have we ever been in this position before vis-a-vis -vis commercial payers? Well, I'm not sure if we were ever contracted with all payers. I know that we tried in the past and one of my predecessors made the decision to be non-contracted for everyone except for a few legacy agreements at Alameda Hospital. Yes, ma'am. We definitely took a completely different approach yeah. to uh, the, the value of having contracts. Yes, ma'am. So I, I, I uh, in, in my recollection, and I only date to 2008 here, uh, we've never been in this position. Um, so uh, 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 I, I love the humility for which you guys present this stuff. But this, as I said before, some of this stuff feels tectonic to me. Um, so I'll just, I'll just end with that and open up to any other trustees for statements or questions on Trustee Fox's uh, finance report. I'll just add... Uh, maybe I'm not, they don't have all that humility, but I do, it is amazing. A lot of the things that we've accomplished this yeah. year. It, uh, yeah, it's beyond amazing. Every time we can you know, recap it for the board, but uh, there, there have been a lot of uh, huge successes that have, been, that have come over the finish line of our team. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice springboard to enter this current fiscal run, isn't it? Uh, Trustee Friedman, sir. 
Yeah, I just want to say I've only been on that committee for about a little less than a year and a half. But believe me, the meetings are a whole lot more fun now <laughs> than they were when I started. So thank you to Ms. Miranda and the whole team and all of us working together and a confluence of circumstances and hard work. Yes, sir. Thank you for that statement. Sure feels better when they're not pitchforks and uh, torches, huh? <laughs> it does. It's so much more fun when you're profitable and ahead of budget. And, 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 and imagining who we can become is so much more fun, right. isn't it? Right. Um, so with that, we will close out the uh, committee reports and we'll, we'll go into the consent agenda, which has F1, 2, 3, and 4, and 5. So uh, trustees, before entertaining a motion to approve the entirety of the consent agenda, are there any items that need to be removed for discussion? Again, there's uh, uh, F1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, with F4 having two contracts in it. Mm. Does anyone feel compelled to pull something out for discussion? Trustee Friedman, do it. All right, I move the right. consent calendar F1 through 5, including 4A and 4B. Yes, sir. Yes. And that's Trustee Esteen seconding, I think. Uh, Madam Clerk? Yes, uh, Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Chapman. Aye. Trustee Esteen. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Uh, Trustee Jensen, I'm not sure if she's still here. Trustee Jensen, are you here? Okay, we're gonna go with a no. And Trustee Splendorio. Aye. Thank you, the motion passes. Madam Clerk, Trustee Jensen won't be a no, right? She'll be an absentia? Correct. Okay, yes, ma'am, okay. Um, thank you guys, we'll close out item and we'll go to item G. So uh, we have three uh, uh, items here, actually I think two items here. The first is gonna be a discussion of something new for our system. Again, uh, on, on, the, on the heels of what we discussed so we get to, we have a little bit more latitude to be forward thinking on things that we didn't do before. This is gonna be an update on the cardiovascular services. Again, a service line is a new concept in this organization. This evening, we have Julie Shu, who's the director of the cardiovascular service line. And the, I guess the head administrator, uh, we would uh, conceive her as doing this. So. Uh, good evening, Ms. Shu. And we have about uh, we have about 20 minutes allocated here, so maybe if we could do ballpark 15 or so, and then open it up for Q and A if that's acceptable. I will try my best. So let right. me share my screen first. Can everyone see my screen? Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me today. I want to first introduce you guys to the cardiovascular leadership team. Um, Dr. Pruket did a great job introducing myself, the director of the cardiovascular service line. We also have Dr. Marina Troskaya, the chief of cardiology, <laughs> and Dr. Sharam Arabi, the chief of vascular surgery. To add to this leadership team, we recently added a nurse leader, um, Carrie, Carrie Shaw to the team as well. And together we work as a triad between medical, nursing, and operations to come up with strategies. I also want to point out some of the awards and accolades that we have received recently. Um, so 
recently, as of last month, when I had to update this presentation, we moved on the American Heart Association from silver to gold and gold plus for our work in the STEMI and NSTEMI receiving program. That is something that is the highest level we can achieve at this point of participation in the program. So we're very proud of that. Both of our uh, facilities and labs for vascular and cardiology are accredited facilities by IAC. So we have really high standards in our labs to have really great results and really quick turnaround times. We are also part of the elective PCI program. There are about 13 hospitals in California in this program, and we are a STEMI receiving center. Do, uh, Michu, can you remind the, uh, the lay audience what STEMI means and PCI means? Of course. So uh, the layman's term is, you know, when somebody has a heart attack, you know, we are the receiving center to take care of those patients that urgently need to be taken care of immediately. Each minute counts when you're having a heart attack. So when somebody comes in and we're able to achieve quick results, it is a benefit to all of the community. Thank you. Thank you. And while we were going to have this presentation um, in conjunction with Dr. Robbie, my partner in crime, he got pulled into the OR, so I will be doing the full presentation. We first want to give you a current view of what we have in cardiology and vascular surgery. Cardiology at Alameda Health System is a much more developed program. We've had cardiology for um, several decades. We have about 5.5 um, providers, 6.5 6 including the APP. We have coverage in Highland and Alameda by our, by our internal providers and the San Leandro service by community group. Uh, we're in several of the community clinics, and we are, we are expanding as part of the strategy to some of the South Bay. Um, we have three cath labs and, you know, non-invasive testing at all our sites. I listed some of the services that are being sent out currently just to give you an idea of what we don't cover. Vascular is a much newer program um, recently as of three years ago, and we have about one plus vascular surgeon, which is why Dr. Robbie is currently being called out. And we do the coverages as listed on the sheet. But this is just to give everybody an idea of where we are today. We started the service line around November, and I want to list some of the accomplishments that we've had to date. Um, we previously did not have dedicated anesthesiology coverage, and we were able to secure that for the cardiovascular procedural area, which made scheduling a lot easier and easier to plan outpatient services. We hired a procedural a scheduler for the cath lab, which falls into our strategy that you will see later on. And we're redesigning our outpatient scheduling process to improve patient flows. As I've spoken, we are working on bringing a new cardiology clinic to Hayward Wellness to address access, and we've decompressed and brought new services both on the vascular and cardiology side. Now, I'm going to walk quickly through this slide. I just want to give a quick overview of all the different components we looked at when we did our strategy development so that everyone has an idea of how comprehensive we looked at. Of course, strategy development is um, an ever-moving target as the environment changes, and we'll continue looking at it even if we have our strategy today. 
I want to list four key findings that we want to pull out from the strategy development. The first is that the market for cardiovascular is shifting from inpatient to the outpatient setting, and that's because the technology is getting better and there are less invasive procedures, so we're able to do more of the procedures in the outpatient setting. At the same time, AHS is currently not set up to operationalize a really good patient-centric outpatient process and faces many silos and barriers to care. That is something we'd like to work on. We currently also have very low outside referral due to a few reasons that I listed here, including perceived quality of care, perceived insurance acceptance, clinic access, and minimum um, branding and marketing as well. Lastly, we want to point out that some of the growth in the marketplace is happy in sub-services in cardiovascular, where AHS currently does not have providers. So that includes electrophysiology as one of the things that is quickly growing because the population is aging. With these key findings and all the other key findings we did, we put together this strategy statement and pillars. As you can see, the pillars align with the strategic plan. And I'll quickly read out the strategy statement to you guys. Cardiovascular services will be patient-centered by developing and growing our workforce to allow a shift in focus on expanding outpatient services. This will provide high quality, equitable, and value-based care that's sustainable for all stakeholders. We were working on a strategy at the same time that Hiran was also working on their strategy. And luckily, when we, our paths crossed, there was very few changes that we had to make in order to put um, the strategy and make sure that it aligned with the um, HS strategy as well. We want to give a quick pictorial of what strategic projects we plan on working on in the next three to five years that align with the pillars that were listed above. Each of these strategic projects um, are written in a fashion that has SMART goals. So they're specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. We are also working on a cardiovascular true north dashboard that we will be sharing with our leadership team on a monthly basis. So this is to give you guys a quick view of what this dashboard may look like. We're still working on collecting data on some of these metrics and some of these metrics may change slightly, but the overall gist of it is here. And we are working with the individual departments underneath cardiovascular which means the clinics, the non-invasive labs, and the cath lab to make sure that they also have metrics that they are looking at that align with these metrics. Quickly, I want to give you guys an overview of what our timeline and strategy is for operational review. So we are working on the strategy and tactics above plus the operational dashboard. And we plan on meeting monthly and reviewing it with a CV leadership as well as higher level leadership. As we get to the end of the year, we will take a look at strategies to see if there's any refreshing of the strategy that we, we may need. So I want to highlight one of the projects that we are working on, which is the clinic redesign. 
And while we're still working on this project, I wanted to share with you some of these guiding principles that we're using as we're looking at redesigning the clinic. And part of the reason we're looking at redesigning the clinic is to make sure that we're removing the silos of care and making sure that there's a stronger connection between the procedural space and the non-invasive lab space. And while we're doing that, we wanna make sure we have no interruptions in patient care and that we're able to be nimble. By the time we're done, we're hoping that this will improve the patient experience and allow staff to feel more supported as well. We're really excited about this. Lastly, I want to share with you our physician recruitment assessment plan. And as of today, the vascular surgeon on here is moving from evaluating to on track. So we are in the process of hiring a vascular surgeon. The heart failure and electrophysiologist is in progress and we're planning to bring that to committee to make sure that we have our ducks in a line to make sure that that is um, on board with the hiring process so we can start hiring those leaders as well. Everything else is on the evaluation track. With that, I come to the end of my presentation and I'll pause for any questions. Thank you, Ms. Shu. Do you mind taking it back to open screen so we can all see each other? Okay, give me one second. And while you're doing oh, that, I, I see, there we go. I see Trustee Fox has his hand up. Thank you. <clears throat> um, in looking at the presentation, I didn't see, in listening to you tonight, I, do, I didn't see or hear anything about financial goals. And I know it's a brand new service line, but I have a bias that a strategic plan should also include a financial component. And uh, I'm wondering what your goals are with respect to things like uh, increases in out, how much you expect to, or would hope to increase out, outside referrals, overall volume, payer mix, and hospital and physician revenues over the course of the next several years, just to name a few things. Yeah, so we did to put together as part of the process a look at what the financials look like in each of those areas and what we would need to do to improve some of those um, revenues as well as lowering some of the expenses. So um, you may not know this, but my background is in finance. So I came from Miss um, Miranda's organization before I moved over to Mr. Frasky's organization. So it's something that is always top of mind for me of how can we do better how can we be sustainable for the organization and be good stewards of taxpayer dollars? You know, as we look into the next five years, we will be projecting that a little bit more robustly. And, you know, right now we're still gathering some of the data to be able to do um, service line financial statement, which I know Ms. Um, Ms. Grace Messina is working on with her team. We've done these sort of preliminary work of looking at it from a cost to charge ratio to get a good idea of where we are, but we're moving in that direction. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, if you feel comfortable, could you share at least some of the volume projections in your strategic plan with the board? Or starting with current state, Mishu, where are we currently with uh, cath volume and heart alerts? Heart alerts, everyone remember, we, we all hear overhead heart alert, that means someone has come in with a heart attack mm -hmm. and they need to get to the, uh, the cath lab within, Julie, remind me, is it 60 minutes? 
And this is also why this team has a gold, uh, a gold award because of how effectively they've, they've done this. So Mishu, can you remind us, yeah, about some of those volumes? How many heart alerts per year? How many cats? Yeah, I'll have to get back to you with the exact numbers. I believe our procedural volume for cat ambassador in itself is about 50 to 70 monthly. Well, maybe if you feel ready, you can just uh, share some of the volume numbers and projections with the board. Um, it, it, maybe it, it can just be something sent to the to the board as part of next month's packet. Or the, the yes, next absolutely. Meeting. I can send you some information about what we plan on as far as in terms of volume and growth. Okay, thank you. That that dashboard that Mishu put up it looks looks great. And so I think uh, what uh, I I would uh, later not only as a practitioner here but as a board uh, a board member would love if we could get those kind of one page snapshots for service lines across the system. <clears throat> I think it's a great a great model that she's developed, which actually smartly aligns with all our pillars. So and I know I we're not ready on the profitability uh, margin numbers yet, but I think the volume numbers would be a good start anyhow. Yes, yeah. sir. And I will tell you, um, Trustee Fox, that when I looked at the last four years, each and every year, the profitability has gone um, higher and higher. So I do not doubt that we are going to continue with that pathway as we continue looking at it. Okay. Thank you for that um, really great presentation. I had two questions. One is in the slide before the dashboard that you showed and the partnerships. Um, is there any, um, uh, with the primary care, with our ambulatory primary care folks too, because I know that this work is with people who've had heart attacks or are doing some of the non-invasive things, but is there a component in your like five-year strategy for the prevention part of it too, of a high-risk folks who are doing so connection between uh, primary and cardiovascular? Absolutely. And I will say that, you know, um, there are a lot of primary care factors that, you know, we need to watch for before somebody has cardiac disease. So there are metrics that we do look at that are also part of the QIT metrics that are looking at cardi cardiovascular disease and the prevention of it. Yeah. I will also say that one of the programs that we were, pro were bringing back or bringing back more robustly is the heart failure program. And that traditionally in the past was in internal medicine. It has moved over to cardiology, but it has lost some of that robustness. So we're working to hire a physician leader in order to bring, the, bring that program back and really help reduce re-emissions in our health system. And that's you know, a work that would be done by an internist. Great question, Trustee Banerjee. It's a developing field within cardiology. It's, it's been in place for so-called preventative cardiology. Uh, so that's a great opportunity as we trying to get further upstream rather than uh, trying to fix the pipes when they're already broken. Mm -hmm. Trustees, any other questions or comments for Ms. Shu? Ms. Shu, thank you for presenting to us this evening. Thank you for having me. Okay. Trustees, we go to item G2, but I, I, uh, item G2 is entitled 
approve the appointment of two elected directors to the East Bay Medical Group. Unfortunately, documents weren't submitted by deadline, so there's nothing in the packet for us to review. So I, it, is, it is my understanding that council will help guide me here. We, we, nothing was submitted for uh, on this, so I think it would be challenging for the trustees to make an approval. I, I think that's right, uh, Chair Bouquet. Uh, okay. You can technically do it, but um, you're not you're not going off anything. So uh, probably correct your instincts to not. Uh, so I'll, 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 I'll open up this for dialogue on on uh, to the trustees uh, and happy to entertain any motions which are out there. You don't have any documents or CVs or the like to approve. This is to appoint two new directors to the East Bay Medical Group Board. And um, uh, I, I don't know what the, I guess the implications here are that, uh, that they're not officially placed. We have the EBMG board present in the room. Dr. Perez, can you comment? Yeah, I apologize for we did not get you the CVs. Um, I am prepared to give you a synopsis of each candidate um, that is based on their CVs. Um, and let you know a little bit about our process for electing um, these two candidates, um, if that helps um, to start the discussion. And if we want, if you want, we can then defer um, the vote uh, for another time. So trustees, I, I, I'm gonna open this one up. I'm not gonna make the call on this one. Well, I'll, I'll guide us, but uh, we can happy to hear a verbal from, from Dr. Perez on this, or option two is to await Formal documentations, which can be supplement, supplemented here. So, I do. Do I have any any uh, trustee esteem? Yeah, I, I think that we should re remembering a moment where our CEO made light of cutting his presentation in half. I think it's best if we hear all the details along with the CVs to make our vote at the same time. Okay. But I'm curious about uh, if only two candidates are gonna be presented to us for these two positions and how they have been recommended by the members of EBMG or if they're recommended by the okay. members of EBMG. So, so uh, Madam Trustee, I think that's a great comment. So I'll, I'll make a little audible here. I'll ask the chair of EBMG to talk to us about the process uh, which occurred to given this. And given that we don't have further records, then we'll, def uh, well, I think what I hear was, it's acceptable to de defer the vote given, given our circumstance. Did I capture that correctly, Trustee Yassine? I think so. So we can make the best informed decision and hoping that that doesn't impede the need, the business need of EVMG as well. Okay. Dr. Perez, can you talk us through the process and then, and then uh, 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 advise us if, if this how, how this might impair you? Yeah, we, we followed the uh, EBMG bylaws um, and our policy for election um, of new candidates, um, of new uh, directors, excuse me. And we had uh, four great candidates um, that uh, went up for election. Um, initially, we only had three candidates, but a, a fourth one was added. Um, and that was because 10% of EBMG members um, signed um, in order to have this candidate placed on the ballot. Um, we had the elections in uh, May, um, and then the two candidates, the two top candidates, were then uh, uh, approved by the board to be seated um, as the newest directors. Um, and I can tell you who those two candidates were, um, if you would like. 
Trustee Esteen. Sure. Yes, please. Okay. Okay. Um, so the so it was Dr. Evan Rusoha and Dr. Benny Liu. Um, and I can tell you about them. Dr. Evan Rusoha is an emergency physician. He has been at Highland um, since the beginning of his residency in about tw uh, 2016, and he served as chief resident on um, his last year of residency. Um, he joined the ED faculty after graduating from residency in 2020, and he also completed the AHS Quality and Safety Innovations Fellowship. And in August of 2021, he stepped into the role of medical director for acute care health outcomes. And he currently works at all three EDs and he served as a role model um, and mentor and teacher to the emergency medicine residents at Highland. He does have prior board experience. He was a co-founder and board member of Empowerment Health, which is a nonprofit dedicated to maternal and child health in Afghanistan. He worked for um, with Senator Barack Obama and the Kaiser Foundation as a health policy scholar. So that is Dr. Evan Rusoha. Um, the other top vote getter was Dr. Benny Liu. His specialty is gastroenterology. He's been um, at AHS for 10 years. And since 2012, he's held the position of Associate Division Chief of Gastroenterology and Hepatology, as well as the Director of Outpatient GI and Hepatology Clinics at AHS. He also teaches the internal medicine residents at Highland since 2013, and he chairs the AHS Continuing Medical Education Committee. He also has prior board experience. He was on the board of directors um, at Oak Care where he advocated for physician self-governance and highlighted the importance of physician voices um, at AHS. And so those were our two top um, vote getters um, in the election. Dr. Perez, um, we, are, we are dark in August, this full board meeting. So, so uh, should they not be approved tonight, um, they, the next opportunity for approval would be the second uh, Wednesday of September. Can you talk to us about the potential implications vis-a-vis -vis your board uh, for non-approval till September? So I, I guess I would need to understand a little bit more. Um, if uh, the trustees do not approve them, does that mean that they are not, um, they cannot vote and participate as directors on EBMG? Um, I, I, I'm seeing council shake his head uh, not aggressively, but yes. Um, so, so I think they could not be vote. They would not be. Uh, I don't know if the word is approved as voting members of East Bay Medical Group's uh, voting board. So, are you? Is 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 your board dark in August? Uh, we are dark, except we were going to have a retreat, but we were otherwise going to be dark in terms of a regular board meeting. That is correct. Council, could they could they attend meetings and uh, uh, as non-voting? They could. Yes, they okay. would just be like anyone else there as guests. Okay. okay. So so thank you, Dr. Perez. Thank you, Council. So uh, Trustee Friedman and then Trustee Banerjee. Yeah, if if Trustee Esteen is uh, acceptable, I think the fact that they were voted um, by their peers and they sound very well qualified that I'd like to move approval tonight just so they aren't in, a, they aren't in limbo for a few months. Um, yes, sir, we're gonna hold that motion and I'm gonna let okay. Trustee Banerjee make her comment and then, and then if that's the case, then someone can chime in with a second. Trustee Banerjee. 
Yeah, yeah I was going to say the exact same thing that if they've won the election and they have the confidence of the of their peers, then I don't think I need to see any other documentation. Uh, Trustee Banerjee, could we make your statement potentially transition that as a potential, potential second to Trustee Friedman's motion? Uh, sorry, not influencing the vote here. Um, so, so uh, Madam Clerk, it sounds like you have a motion and a second. Um, so uh, I suppose let's go to a roll call. Yeah, so Friedman moved and Banerjee seconded uh, to approve hmm. the two elected directors. Yes, um, Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Chapman. Aye. Trustee Esteen. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. And Trustee Splendario. Aye. The motion passes, thank you. Okay, so we were able to navigate that. Uh, uh, Dr. Perez, you have two new board uh, directors. Thank you, really appreciate. Thank you. Uh, I'm glad we were able to make the adaptation in the, in the end. With that, we'll close item G2. We'll go to item G3, approval of the amendment to the agreement with the County of Alameda regarding capital designation funding and reimbursement funds. Man, that's a mouthful. Um, uh, Mr. Jackson is listed as, as the presenter on this. There was not an attached document Mr. Jackson, sir, can you guide us through this item? Actually, I, I'm going to look to um, CFO Miranda. I, I understood that we were not going to move forward with this, but um, Kim, can you elaborate? Yes, that, that is correct. We do not have an amendment tonight for the board to approve. Yes, ma'am. Um, we are still working with the county. Um, the Board of Supervisors has not seen the amendment yet. So they've asked me to defer this discussion to a future date. Um, it may be that we'll need a special meeting to approve the amendment, um, but there's nothing that I can share tonight. I'm happy to discuss it with anybody. If anyone has questions, we, we discussed it at finance committee and is in my written report. Yes, ma'am. So, so uh, trustees, any comments or questions? It looks like we're pulling item G3. We're pulling item G3, not pulling, pulling G3 off the agenda. Are there any comments or questions of our CFO? Okay, that will close out item G. We're going to item H, which is board calendar and tracking. Madam Clerk, I'm gonna need a little bit of your help here. Um, remind us about, uh, here, so here are a couple things. August, the full, all committees of the board, are dark in August, except for the QPSC. So we'll be reconvening in September. Madam Clerk, will you remind us about the status of the joint meeting with the Board of Supervisors? We currently have a joint meeting scheduled for October 4th, and they wanted, they're trying to schedule an earlier one as well. They wanted to get two in by the end of the year, but we're struggling to get that first date. But October 4th at, I believe, 4 p.m. is confirmed. Okay. So I, I guess they have the option of an August potentially, even though the rest of the, it might make it easier for trustees. So um, I thank you for the polling that you've been doing. So if we're to get one in before October 4th, it looks like probably August is maybe best option, Madam Clerk. Yeah, and that's, and they, those, they were August dates that they were trying to, to you know, use. So we'll see what happens. Got it, thank you so much. Next item, um, trustees, the executive committee had a meeting today 
and 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 two things which are relevant to your your calendar. Number one, uh, we agree that that uh, a retreat is is appropriate. Um, so we've we've selected October as a, if you will, three quarter day retreat. You know, maybe a ten to four. Uh, we're working on the agenda. I've asked the clerk to poll Fridays and Saturdays. I know there's a little bit of pain there, but poll Fridays and Saturdays for the month of October. Um, th this will be a relatively clean agenda, one deep dive. We're hoping that maybe we can make some type of board to board with uh, our, our foundation and then, and then some type of uh, team building activity. So uh, please expect that polling coming out of the clerk of the board. Next item is um, uh, uh, the executive committee also felt that it is important for this board to have more contact time together. So, so uh, Secretary Treasurer Esteen is <clears throat> gonna be the lead on a developing a, if you will, uh, social evening for this board. Remember, uh, uh, if this board meets in quorum, uh, we have to agendize any items. So if we're to have a social evening, uh, we are not allowed to talk any business of a Alameda Health System, which probably won't be a problem, but just as, as a notation, I think it is important as, as, as we had a long discussion about board engagement and working together. So uh, that is uh, another item of discussion, uh, sorry, uh, pending with regard to calendar. And last item on the, on the board calendar, the executive committee uh, met today, again, as I said before, and we're gonna make the recommendation. We're making the recommendation that as a go forward, starting in September, we strive to have in-person meetings for the full board of trustees meeting, this meeting, striving to be at in-person. We're also making the recommendations that all other subcommittees of the board, QPSC, finance, HR, audit, compliance, executive committee, will maintain their virtual presence. So we're looking for once a month coming together in person. And we're, we're gonna try to work out the logistics of that. We didn't wanna be too taxing on the staff. It's a lot of work for the staff to put together these in-person in, in meetings. So just know that, uh, that uh, and I'll, I'll write the uh, executive committee sort of findings if, and re recommendations and send it all to you. But just to know that, because that relates to our board calendar and tracking. With that, I'm, uh, I'll open it up for any other comments on board calendar and tracking, uh, Trustee Banerjee, Trustee Esteen, um, anything else born out of the executive committee uh, today that you wanna make comment on relevant to our calendar and tracking? No, I, I think you captured it pretty well, Dr. Chair. I do have one question about the uh, grand jury um, findings with the, the mental health care here in the county and whether or not we might want to get some kind of a briefing on that added to a future agenda. I, 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 I'm, I'm going to thank you for catching that. I'm going to uh, agree with you because uh, 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 I'll show my vulnerability, which is ignorance on the topic. Um, so um, Madam Clerk, if we can put that as a tracking item. Will do. Okay. And, and, and perhaps trustees in your one-on-ones with, with our CEO, you, you can maybe get some further input because I, I'm, I myself am personally ignorant on the issue. 
Any other items for tracking or calendaring? All right, with that, um, uh, we, there are uh, two nice staff written reports. I hope our trustees are reading them. One's the CFO report, the other's the PACE report. Um, uh, those are included in your packet. And with that, we'll go to the closed session. Actually, before I, before I go to the closed session, uh, audience, uh, for those of you who follow the noticing, there's actually another special board meeting to follow this board meeting. And that's because of Brown acting. Uh, that meeting is gonna go pretty much open right into closed. So uh, that's a little bit of the weirdness related to the board, uh, to, to the Brown Act. So effectively the open uh, parts of the meeting, the agendized open part of the meeting closes right now. You're of course welcome to sit uh, in any open room that you like, uh, but just know how this is gonna be choreographed. We're gonna go into close for this full board meeting, come back up in the evening, then open a new meeting and go right into closed. A little bit awkward, but just to let you know. So with that, I'll close the open uh, session items. Uh, council. And, and Dr. Chair, uh, in the special meeting, the public does have an opportunity when we yeah. open that for public comment on the agenda. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Uh, the board will now go into closed session to consider those items as stated on the agenda. Yes, sir. Thank you, everyone. Have, have, have a great evening. Hi, Rama. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thank you. There's still some wonkiness in NASDAQ, and I guess it's because some of the physicians, although they're supposed to have a license, <laughs> that they're still not logging in for their MEC. You're on mute. <laughs> I'm clearly clerking the meeting from home if you didn't notice. <laughs> hey, no harm, no foul. 
I just figured I'd use the opportunity since we're, we're here and it's just Lorna if she's there um, to just touch base. Might as well. Hi, Lorna. Hi, I'm doing dishes. Oh, that's okay. I I'm wish this was something away. other than smart water passion fruit mango because it's been a hell of a day. <laughs> Sorry. Sounds like you need some vodka in that. But it's not, I can assure you, I'm way too straight for that kind of stuff. <laughs> I'm old enough to where I remember actually being able to drink in offices. <laughs> I'm old enough to remember when they used to be able to fly on the double-decker airplanes and they were smoking and did like a casino upstairs. Oh, see, now I'm not all about cigarette smoke, but you know, there were some fun times back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> So we've got some positions yeah. that are not logging into NASDAQ and it looks yes. like some of the membership is still wonky. So I'll circle back with you. Okay. Probably. Yeah, it's, they get cut, as you know, if they don't log in, uh, you know, for six months and I'll reinstate them once or twice, but at some point I'm not going to, you know, so I'm like, well, if you all don't want to use it, then I can't make you use it. And you're taking yeah. up a license for somebody who wants to. Well, so, I took three calls last night for providers that couldn't be compliant or log in. One of them I need to follow up with their division chief because the provider was so nasty to me. Oh, I'm so sorry. And I held my tongue and really wanted to say, really, I got out of bed to take your call because she was asking um, why, how long was this going to take? She needed to get home to her family. And it takes everything not to say, and you didn't know you were on call to make sure you could log in during normal business hours. Yeah. What is, who is it? Can you tell me what her name is? Not to get her in trouble or anything, but I just want to look and see what her status is. She's not in NASDAQ. I'm talking about their status to get in and do patient care and to, oh, okay. to place an ISLR and approve it. Uh, I am so sorry. It's just wild. You're a patient human. <laughs> I mean, I'm okay. patient, but no, I, I think my light is drawn a lot closer. And I don't want to go to their level when they get that nasty. Like, I don't think mirroring their nastiness really mm -hmm. helps anyone. So instead, they go low, you go high. follow up with the chair and the division chief and say, we need your support in making sure they log in during business hours so that our IT team can also make sure their access is correct. I mean, it's not mm -hmm. a hard accountability thing. Mm -mm, mm -mm. No, it really isn't. Oh, Yeah. Well, let me know what I need to do or how I can help. Sure. I always appreciate that. You know, I will. That's right. I was going to say about giving you permission to be able to assign the people. And I don't know what happened to that. I'll make a note of it though and follow up. Okay. Lorna, I thought you weren't supposed to be standing doing dishes. Yeah, Lorna. Yeah, well. I sitting down all day is not good either. Yeah, I know. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. The invisible cigarette, you know. <laughs> yeah, I've been uh, wanting to get back to the gym and go work out, but I've got this cough that just won't go away. I'm working with uh, many doctors on it. But hopefully they can get it resolved because I'm really tired of not being able to like, you know, breathing. do anything active. Yeah, yeah bre breathing cough. is a really good thing. Breathing is a good, good thing. And I've not COVID been able cough? to do it for a while. No, you know, and that's funny is it's not a COVID cough. It just, I don't even know. We don't, it's allergies. I know it's allergies. I don't, I did, I mean, I did smoke for many, many years, but I have not smoked in a long time. It's not that. It's, um, it's just, I'm literally, literally allergic to outside. 
and to mostly inside also. And so I take every allergy medicine known to man multiple times a day. And uh, I take stuff that's stronger than the shots. And um, I still am coughing and sneezing all day. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll see, hopefully. That, but I, I, I feel the pain of sitting down isn't good, but standing up and moving around isn't good. And it sucks. I should probably finish up what I was working on and then head home. You probably should. Do you have to stay for the whole duration of the board tonight? Um, I don't normally, but I am tonight because there's another um, another uh, meeting after this one. And I just want to be there to call roll and make sure I get the times and make wow. sure everybody knows what everybody's doing. So it's I could probably get out if I wanted to, but that's why I'm home instead of in the office. Gotcha. Yeah. So if they go to open session, like they're talking about for the full board, is is there still going to be camera, like, so the public can log in or are we going to have public there? Yeah, we won't have any public there, but the public can be there if they wanted to. You know, the the agenda is on the internet and everything. If anybody noticed it, they're welcome to come and make public comment on the uh, agenda item, but I, I don't expect anybody to be there. Okay. I'll probably still do them in Zoom. Yeah, I mean, you can just sit there and finish up what you're doing on Zoom and just, you know, you don't have to participate. Nothing will happen. They're just going to come. We're going to open the meeting. They'll call for public comment. There won't be any. Then they'll go into closed session. Then they'll come out and announce that no action, no reportable action was taken. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize this is all still recording. That's special. Oh, it's not supposed to be. Usually I stop it. Don't worry. I cut it out. Thank you, everyone. We've come out of closed session. Uh, Council? The board met in closed session to consider those items as stated on the agenda. There were no reportable actions taken. Chair uh, Thank you. With that, we uh, bring to a close the Board of Trustees regular meeting for Wednesday, July 13th, 2022. So hard stop, this meeting is now closed. Now, there is actually a special Board of Trustees meeting uh, immediately to follow. So um, we are now opening a new meeting. This is the special board of trustees uh, meeting for Wednesday, July 13th, 2022. Welcome to everybody. Uh, Madam Clerk, roll call, please. Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Bouquet. Here. Uh, Trustee Blues, excuse. Trustee Chapman. Here. Trustee Esteen. Here. Trustee Fox. He's here. Trustee Friedman. Here. Trustee Splendoria. Here. We have a quorum. Thank you, Madam uh, Clerk. For this now, we'll go to uh, we'll go to public comment. Uh, this board uh, is, is openly receives all public comment. All feedback is a gift. Madam Clerk, are there any public comments? No, sir. Okay. Um, for those of you who've seen the agenda item, there are no open session agenda items. This is a closed session meeting. We had to do this due to uh, uh, in, in compliance with uh, the Brown Act. Um, before we go to in the closed session uh, for which is, uh, which is agendized, I note that I have to recuse myself of, uh, of any discussion in this regard because I'm an employee of East Bay Medical Group, Medical Group for which uh, the discussion may apply. So I will be recusing myself of that. Uh, of that. I will also be recusing myself because this discussion may include uh, SEIU 1021, of which I previously 
haven't been on the payroll. So, so with that, uh, the rest of the trustees will enter into a closed session discussion. Trustee Asin and I will be leaving for the evening. Uh, uh, Trustee Banerjee, when they come out of closed, if you'll make all relevant announcements. I'll do that. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. Thank you. So the board will uh, go into closed session now to consider the item as stated on the agenda. Oh, the board uh, the board met in closed session the, to discuss the item on the agenda. The board took no reportable action. Thank you, Aman. And so July 13th, the special board meeting is now adjourned. Thanks, everyone. Good night. Bye.